Nation presents a double main event. The Immortal Bull Hogan versus 476 pounds of the earthquake. Plus, World Wrestling Federation champion, the Ultimate Warrior, defends against ravishing Rick Rude in the confines of a steel cage. Speaking of our social media, uh, today I posted a picture of a beer that I'm going to open now, which is called The Thunder Taker by Brew York. Oh. Lad says the can. Yeah, there it is. It is a Crow Pop and Talus Pale Ale, whatever that means. Never have I been so sure that I'm not going to like a beer that I spent yeah. £4.50 on based on the can. So hang on, let's just have a little bit. Hopefully it back picked up. That's classic can opening. Yeah, no, it's not for me, if I'm being honest. Maybe you'll like the second sip and the third sip more. You know, maybe a grower. You never know. Maybe like halfway through The Undertaker's career, things will pep up in the second half. Who knows? Mm. <laughs> when I saw this in uh, in Corks in Lord Street, rather than a beer shop, I went, wow, look at that ham hock! very confused looks. <laughs> Do you reckon that can is just going to keep on going and going and going way past its use-by date? <laughs> <laughs> Very much. Have that Undertaker. And then it's going to turn up in Saudi Arabia. I have an awful match with Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly kill itself. And then. <laughs> oh, oh, right. So, uh, I, I reckon it's definitely going to kill your guts. It just sounds like it's going to. What was it? That... Like Shit Eater Pale Ale or something? Shit <laughs> Eater Pale Ale. Yeah. Cryo Pop and Talus Pale Ale. I mean, Hello, fuck off. Give me a Foster's. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth of four Survivor Series beers produced in conjunction with Yakima Chief Hops to showcase their new Cryo Pop, the most electrifying hop blend in the brewing entertainment. Designed to create a big hit of uh, survivable hop compounds for an enhanced hop character, this beer is hops with Cryo Pop and Talus. The flavour will hit you like a tombstone pile driver. Cryo Pop is a trademark of Yakima Chief Hops used with permission. Okay, well, this is starting to get really boring now, so let's move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today, despite this year's event having taken place the day before this episode is published... We continue the SummerSlam fun as we bring you our review of the 1990 edition. Joining me is old man Sam Kerry, who has spent the last week inquiring as to the personal services provided by one Daniel Bryan, but has found, much to his chagrin, that Bryan's whoring days are over following his departure from WWE. Old man, how are you? Let's be honest, I think we're just about to find out that his whoring days are most definitely still in business, because he's going to be whoring himself out to AEW by the time this gives out, I reckon. But I'm good. Obviously, is an exciting, an exciting show this week. So we've had some very able substitutes. 
who performed tremendously, especially in the game, although still lost out to the regulars. But beautiful to have the trilogy of sex studs back together. <laughs> well, that's true, because we are also joined by the returning Tom Smith, who has completed the meagre amount of paternity leave that society allows and has now been thrust back into the spotlight to help us analyse another wrestling show. Tom, great to have you back, even though you'll have no idea what we were talking about with regards to Daniel Bryan then, because it largely references last week's episode, which has not yet been released. How are you? Yeah. Uh, very good. I did wonder what was going on there. It did actually lead me to looking onto uh, Daniel Bryan's uh, Wikipedia page. And there's a tremendous picture of him wearing a cape, which I very much recommend you guys both look up because it's a very powerful image. Um, I'm doing well. And it's before I wanted to, to go into this, a bit of a disclaimer, obviously, as, as you said, I've uh, become a father for the first time. And when you become a father, you reevaluate things. You may have thought to yourself about taking a little bit of a stance. And I feel like I may have been a little bit too harsh on one particular wrestler we've talked about a lot but, uh, <laughs> because i know now what it means to be a proper family man which is why i recount everything that i've said about ricky the dragon steamboat he is <laughs> a great father a great husband and a great man all of a sudden we're gonna get tom bringing his fucking kid onto the show yeah <laughs> Uh, one other thing. Fuck Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yes! He's gone in on him. I'll never sing his praises. The boring cunt. <laughs> yes. He oh. is well and truly here again with us. And what's, what's this all about this year? Because, as I said, this will be airing the day after this year's SummerSlam. Why is SummerSlam on a Saturday? What's, what's going on? And maybe the bigger question should be, why aren't all wrestling pay-per-views on a Saturday night? I'll be honest, I was going to correct you because I was like, this goes out on a Sunday. The bloody Tinky's lost his mind, silly shit. I would imagine that it was just something that happened and then they were like, you know what, a Sunday's a good day. It's just inconvenient for everyone. Let's put it on then. Yeah, I, I've, always, I've always kind of wondered that myself as well, especially considering that like during certain times of the year, it's coinciding with like the NFL. I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things, isn't it? Like the, you, you get these weird traditions. I mean, why does football kick off at three o'clock? Well, most of it doesn't anymore on a Saturday. But the word is, why does that happen? I guess it's just something that something happened. It must have obviously been a, a successful formula. So I must have. Had, I mean, what would the earlier earlier pay per views have been? Something like like some of the Starcade stuff, I, I suppose. Well, no, they, the first the first pay per view was the was wrestling the, classic. Um, oh, of course, yeah. The same year as the first WrestleMania, but that wasn't actually a proper pay per view. But in fact, yeah. those early pay-per-views weren't on Sundays. It was only kind of later on that they'd been on Sundays. Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, there you go. You heard it here first. Not sure <laughs> is the answer to that question. Groundbreaking. <laughs> now, as I said, we are talking about SummerSlam 1990 today, which, Tom, is right in your wheelhouse. What a time to come back. Yeah, well, there's a reason. I came. I actually, well, just, spoiler alert, you boys already know this, but I actually watched the wrong show. In preparation for my comeback, I thought I'd missed all of the SummerSlam shows. So it was a bit of a treat. Also, uh, I'm going a bit old school with it. I haven't taken any notes throughout this sh- about this show. And I'm very sleep deprived. So I think I'm going to need you boys to fucking hold my hand a bit through this one. Because I can't re- I'm just looking at, looking at the card now. I can't remember the first half of this card whatsoever. <laughs> so this is going to be very exciting. As if any of that is different to usual. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now oh, if you my word. 
Now, if you haven't done so already, please give us a follow over on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We can be found at RWRPod UK. If you're over there with us on Twitter or Facebook, that is the best place to find out the subject of our next episode. And if you follow us on Instagram, you might occasionally see us post a random picture now and again. Either way, it's top quality content every single time. <laughs> we are covering SummerSlam at 1990 today. So, guys, what was your uh, preconceptions, your expectations going in? Why don't we start with you, Tom, seeing as you're back today? You can imagine all my expectations where I was very excited about this. This is this is pretty much bang bang on in my in my warehouse wheelhouse. Eighty seven through to ninety two roughly. My is my probably my favourite era. It's, I was thinking to myself at the time, I was wondering if they were gonna start to see kind of the end of Hulkamania running wild, the start of Hulkamania running wild. Because I can remember I kind of think of obviously Hulkamania peaking around about eighty seven and kind of petering out by the end of like in, in this in this period in, in 1990. So the main thing I was looking at for was to see, is Hulkamania still running wild or is it merely running around the pen like a free-range chicken? You know it's going to die, but it's had a good life. Lovely. Philosophical and one for the vegans. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Old man? Um, yeah, I was looking forward to it. It's been many years since I watched it. I was slightly... I don't know, like, I thought I might have had some rose-tinted speckies on when I watched this as a kid. Because, I mean, this would have been... Probably when it was, I would have watched this 91, 92, I reckon, for our winner video. So I was a little, a little bit concerned, I'll, I'll be honest. And like, it's Ultimate Warrior and he's champion. Isn't it? I don't want it, lads. I don't want it. This stupid, I, horrible cunt. I think I have watched this like a ton of times. I had it on VHS and I would have bought that in about 95, probably 96, something like that. But I had it on VHS. And so I've watched it loads and loads. I knew exactly what was coming up. I knew all the major points that take place. I remember what matches were involved on this show. But I was interested to see if it still held up um, to what I'd previously thought of it. And what I had previously thought of it was it was okay. But that was about it, all I could say. <laughs> so who knows? Is it gonna ha- is it gonna live up to that, or is it gonna go one better? You never know. It might go might go one better than that. So we'll see. Yeah. Oh, but I don't know how it can get better than those lofty heights of okay. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, I'm really hoping this is okay. <laughs> so we start by finding out that our commentary team for the evening uh-huh. is Vince McMahon and Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I think, if we're honest, we have to get this out of the way mm-hmm. in terms of our assessment of their performance as soon as we possibly can. And on this occasion, I think we can all agree that our concerns are most definitely not with Mr. McMahon on this particular yeah. occasion. Oh man, any anything you want to say straight off the bat? Well, the crowd are electric for the old Piper, for the old <laughs> the old hotspot. And my, so my concern immediately, who's the hill? Who's going to be the hill? How are we going to get any stories? It's all right. We're not going to. That's why I realised very early on. I was like, oh, we're just not going to. Started hot, started enthusiastic. Like I said, in the build, I was a little bit trepidatious. This did kill some of my enthusiasm. I enjoyed Vince. And as you said, Tinky, that, but that's not what our concern was. Our concern is that Roddy Piper in our area for two and a half hours talking absolute shit, which is what we got, including something that we, we will discuss, I'm sure, Tinky, in the next match, in the opening match. Which is something that I remember you and I watching years ago around at my parents' house. They'd be like, hang on, what was that? What did Piper just say? So, um, yeah, I think a way to describe 
Piper on commentary is problematic. Problematic is the word I would use. It's not just in one match. I've noticed it in about three or four matches during the show. Mm. He is problematic. As you say, that is the word. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. It starts with the Rockers against Power and Glory. It's our opening contest. It's a six-minute match, and it ends when Janetti is pinned following Power and Glory's excellent suplex splash combination. Tom, how did you feel about this one? Uh, it was all right. So I was I was impressed by how over the Rockers were. I was disappointed in the fact that Power and Glory didn't put their arms up in the wrong order, like they did at uh, WrestleMania <laughs> 7. But Shawn Michaels is not featured in the match at all. Presumably, he, he's lost his smile. He's out there selling it like a champ. Um, yeah. That he's lost the smile, which is as you know, as you said, old oh man, we all know your smile is contained within your knee. Um, so he's down there selling it, selling it constantly, and it's basically a handy, handicap match. There's not really much to say about it. The Rockers are very over, they're very popular, as I said earlier. But it's, it's there's not really much to it. The bit that I want to talk about is the bit that we that we we alluded to earlier is the bit of bizarre commentary that Roddy Piper does when slips on the camera and he goes, "There he is, it's slick." And like, the fuck is he on about? How how much has he drank before he's come out? And and how racist has he decided to be before he's come out on the show as well? Because that's what it very much comes across as. It certainly does. It certainly does. I actually don't know if it is this match. I think it's a later match, if I'm honest, that he does that particular thing. Mm-hmm. But we can pretend it's this match if we want. Yeah. Um, yes, he does. He does direct that towards Slick, and it does definitely does feel as if he's drawing upon some kind of racial stereotype of some kind um, when doing so. And I might have been able to give him this time around the benefit for the doubt, having watched it. Because when we saw it, it was a long, long time ago when we saw we, we noticed that before, Tom. And I might have been able to give him the benefit of the doubt if other things didn't happen during this show that he says. So I figure, no, he's just being a big old racist. I'll be honest, I didn't pick up on any of that. What did you pick no. up on? <laughs> uh, I noticed the very excellent shitty heel work by Power and Glory, who, like, to be honest, their job here is to beat up Martin Janetti, which I think at this time a lot of people wanted to do in real life. <laughs> so they had a good time. This is fine for what it is. Like, uh, Shawn Michaels, I had a little look. He's, he's got a knee injury, went off the knee surgery after this. My main thing from this is Marty Janetti. Has he always looked 50? Because <laughs> I was looking at him, I was like, he looks like a good old, good old tanned kneecap that's just been out in the sun a little bit too long. That's what he looks like. <laughs> and I looked at a picture of him that was from like 2012. Looks exactly the same. And I don't know if that's a compliment. I don't think it is. Okay, I didn't notice the the similarities between Martinetti and a tanned knee kneecap. I've got to be honest. <laughs> well, that, that, to be fair, your kneecaps are probably so white you haven't seen a tanned kneecap in years. It's probably true. Probably yeah. true. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what? He's he's not wrong. Yeah, you know, he's, thank he's, you. He does. He, there is a. He does look a bit like a kneecap. But <laughs> <laughs> he told you, Tinky, you shit house. So I said I didn't notice it. I didn't. I didn't deny you were right. I just said I didn't notice it. It's it's, it's a strange old match. It's because obviously they've they're trying to accommodate the fact that Shawn Michaels has got an injury, so he gets attacked before the bell by Hercules, and Hercules hits him in the knee with the chain to kayfabe the injury and so then Janetti carries the whole match it's only six minutes long but that six minutes is really enjoyable it's really fun it's really fast paced the fans are really into it because the rockers are massively popular and so it's it's fine 
they give power and glory the victory. We know that they don't go on to any great heights, having seen WrestleMania 7 and the treatment they got there. But, you know, it's decent. It's a decent little contest. It's just a shame it's only six minutes and Shawn Michaels wasn't really able to contribute. But what I, what I want to know is as well, is I was thinking, thinking about this with the Rockers. I'm curious, can you remember, you did the, um, the game uh, two weeks ago where you did the, well, the, you know, the 50 best tag teams that WWE had published. Where were the Rockers on there? Does anybody remember? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I they can were definitely find in it. the top fifty. Yeah, too high, regardless, because they such an overrated tag team. They were number fourteen. That's far too high for the Rockers, because they never even won the belts officially. They just uh, fuck off, and they were only together in WWF for like three years. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They were. I guess the thing is that there's an iconic nature to them, though. People still remember them, still think of them as being great, which. I guess there aren't that many tag teams you would say are as iconic as them, but I understand what you're saying. They didn't win the titles, although technically they did win the title once, but it because they actually did it, recorded it, but never got shown on TV. Poor lads. Yeah, I, I, I get. I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying, but it's a WWF list. It's not meant to be serious. It's just you're supposed to kind of view it with a, oh, that's interesting that they would place I don't know Demolition in eleven because Demolition famously have had a long period of time where Vince McMahon hasn't got on with them. So it's interesting that they'd even be appearing in the list. The Rockers, didn't they win it and then they got sacked for being horrible dicks and getting really pissed and then come back like a week later? And this started like the Marty Gennetti sackathon, which just lasted for about 20 years. I don't remember that being the case in that particular uh, occasion. Um, I may be wrong. As I understood it, the match wasn't particularly good, even though it was with the Hart Foundation. They did a lot of, me- they messed it up a lot, and it required so much editing that they decided just to not show it in the end. And then they had the Hart Foundation keep. That's my memory of it. But you might be right. There might be something behind that. And well, it's Michaels and Janetti. They were two of the biggest dickheads yeah. going, so yeah. probably was the case at some point at that time. The Rockers, more like the Cockers. <laughs> the Cock Knockers. <laughs> The, the that ends. <laughs> the cunts, right? Um. <laughs> um, can I quickly just one last Martinetti thing? Yeah. Just uh, yeah. on uh, on Google Images because I wanted to you know verify this kneecap thing. And uh, you know we post some mad shit on social media. Um, this is one from uh, April twenty first, two thousand nineteen. Of all the things I've ever done in my life, and it's been a whole lot. Some of the shit don't even matter if you don't believe it. One thing I've ever done. I've never had sex with a blind. Oh, I tell you what, <laughs> the blind. Does it? I mean, I'm assuming. I'm, I'm assuming. I don't want to make a massive assumption, but I'm assuming he's talking about somebody who is blind, rather than the the things that cover <laughs> window. your windows. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And, and if he hasn't, what a weird thing to gloat about. I'd be like, yeah. I've never had. I've never fucked a door. <laughs> well, to be honest, Tom, in your case, we know that's a lie. Yeah, I know. I've got some blue yeah. sexy doors in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, the funny thing is, if he is talking about the blind, i.e. the blind that covers his window, that means that he has had sex with practically every other item in his house. <laughs> yeah. Because he specifically <laughs> called out the blind. I don't say. Imagine being on the other side of that blind. He's just like walking down the street and just see this dick <laughs> carrying through the blind. <laughs> no, no, hang on, that, is that my genetic stick? <laughs> Looks a bit like a kneecap. Yeah. <laughs> a big so old next... sweaty, dirty kneecap. 
So next up, we get a backstage interview. Spit in love juice. With Mr. Perfect and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, apparently, the match between Mr. Perfect and the Texas Nord Tornado, which is coming up next, was only set 10 days before. Sean Mooney is the person interviewing them, and he asks whether it's smart to accept a challenge from someone who only challenged him so recently. And Heenan dismisses uh, the question and says that the Texas Tornado um, is going to lose and that Perfect is absolutely perfect. Let's be honest, there's one star of the show here, and that's Mr. Perfect's knob. You can oh, see yeah. it in all his bloody glory. In all, in all its power and glory, thankfully, Heenan's wearing a tremendous jacket and Sean Mooney's mullet is off the chain. So I managed not to just stare at Mr. Perfect's knob for however long this segment is. And also, only about 10 days in advance. That's long-term booking in WWE nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> a 10-day build? Don't mind if I do. Well, the, the other thing, they've got an excuse for it here, because this was originally yeah. supposed to be Brutus the Barber Beefcake, but he was unable to compete, as we know, because of his little accident. Well, I say his little yeah. accident, it's a pretty serious accident. And um, yeah, he, had to, he couldn't be in the match. So they had to kind of book this on the fly pretty quickly. The uh, story has always been that he got two knees in the face. Do we think that Marty Gennetti may have been involved? <laughs> he, may, he may have planted the nut on him. And he was like, oh, some, some giant knee at me in the face. It turns out it was just my genetic. Tell you what, it's the best theory I've heard. No one's disproved it, have they? No. Could you imagine, if, imagine if you were like, you were like um, a paramedic and you came, and you came like to that scene. You're like, so what, what, what did you do today, Jeff? How did it work? Bit odd. I, uh, I had to go out and rescue Brutus the Barber Beefcake, whose yeah. face had just been caved in in a freak paragliding accident. Yeah. <laughs> still weird sentence. They'd be like, "Fuck off!" He's talking bollocks again. Yeah. No, no, genuinely, Brutus the Beefcake, Ed Leslie, the disciple. Brutus the Beefcake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brutus the Beefburger. Also, we get a backstage interview where Mean Gene Oakland is with Texas Tornado. He says that the only tornado that Perfect needs to worry about is the black cloud hanging over his head. He then says he's going to become the Intercontinental Champion. I will be honest, both of these interviews had more. They did say more than what I've just suggested, but I struggled through taking notes as quickly as I usually do, and I couldn't get it all down. There's a nice bit where I can't remember if it's Mr. Perfect or if it's Bobby Heenan hitting their interview saying they're not worried about te- tornadoes in Texas because they're very small and they don't last very long and they do nothing. And then there's a callback to it by Kerry Von Texas in his promo, which was quite a nice little crossover there. The Texas tornado is not very good, is he, yeah. on a promo? And and I guess we, we may have covered this before already, but and we can talk about it a little more in the match. But it, again, it goes to show the power of booking someone strong because in obviously like world class, the Von Eriks in general were massive, weren't they? Hugely over, massively over. And even though he is quite over in WWF, I can't help but think that he wouldn't have been that popular for very long in WWF. I don't know. I mean, look, we, we, we come to it because we're going to talk about the match in a minute. But in fairness to Kerry Von Erich, he was past his prime at this point. He'd picked up a rare, very serious painkiller addiction as a consequence of his foot being amputated in 1986 and so it definitely lost more than a step in the ring um oh i mean that's cheap <laughs> i didn't even mean it <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, all i'm hearing all i'm hearing are excuses excuses <laughs> all right piers morgan he's a snowflake <laughs> he was exceptional in the ring in the early 80s as were both his brothers david and kevin both all three of them were very very good 
wrestlers and they were also good looking they were extremely over with the crowds that they that they worked in front of and david von eric before he died in 1984 was very seriously being considered as a future nwa world champion and was expected widely expected to beat rick flair at some point in the next six months uh in the end they gave carrie von eric a title run mainly as a kind of dedication to david von eric and he beat rick flair and then dropped the belt to him not not too long after that so i don't i don't know i think there's an argument to be made here that this you aren't seeing kerry von eric really in truth here this is this is a very much lesser kerry von eric than when he was in his prime was kerry von eric in many ways the original ray mysterio in that he got a title run because someone died well yeah maybe maybe you can argue i'm yeah. sure there's been others i'm sure there have been others but uh I can't yeah, say oh, definitely these the uh, the the original, but do you think Mummy and Daddy Von Eric missed a trick by calling one of their kids Eric? <laughs> Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um. So yes, we get Mr. Perfect versus Kerry Von Eric for the Intercontinental Title up next. This one is only five minutes long. It ends when Perfect slaps Texas Tornado and taunts him in the corner. Mr. Perfect turns around to gloat. Texas Tornado kind of comes out of the corner looking like he's ready to take Perfect on. He applies the big old claw, then hits a spinning punch to get the pin and become the new champion. Tom. Mr. Perfect is amazing. Dick and all. We, <laughs> again, I'm not saying anything. It's bumping all over the shop for him. Now, I know mm-hmm. I've criticised people like Dolph Ziggler for, for doing much similar, but it's different. The, the, way that, the way that Perfect does it, he does oversell some stuff, and, but he, he just does it at the right times, at the right opportunities. And he's never, it doesn't ever seem like gratuitous and over the top. It just seems like he's really, really making his opponents look as good as they can possibly be, which, as I kind of said earlier, I don't think is a very particularly high bar for Kerry Von Erich at this, at this stage in his career. But yeah, it's a fun little match. Obviously, it doesn't last for very long. There's nothing to... There's nothing to particularly dislike about it, I find. But I also, I also didn't think it was there was a, there was enough anywhere to really kind of keep me gripped in it as well. But to be honest, I was just looking forward to seeing the Warlord coming out soon at this stage because I'd had a sneaky peek at the uh, matches underneath. So it was just it was it was fine. It was fine for what it was. Again, the the, the crowd are quite hot for Kerry Von Eric, which is always nice to hear. And, and as old man said, they're pretty hot throughout the entire show. But yeah, I, and it's it's interesting that the the kind of post match promo that they do at the end with Mr. Perfect and where he's very angry at losing the title. And I quite like that because like we said before, it shows that people care about it happening. I thought this was all right. This kind of, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Because I didn't know about, oh, Kerry Von Texas and his one foot or his painkiller addiction. Don't really know anything about him apart from the fact that he passed away a couple of years after this. But uh, this is all right. This Reek to me of Mr. Perfect having an injury, which obviously wasn't the case, which is why I thought it was so shocks. The crowd, I mean, the crowd at the finish are incredible. They're absolutely loving it. I can't imagine coming off of this that it probably did much for Texas Tornado because I don't think it made him look particularly good, to be honest. Perfect sell of the spinning punch is incredible. And the promo after sells the importance of the belt, but is I. I was, just, I, was, I was a bit disappointed. I think that's why I'm down on it. I think I was expecting a bit more, and I bloody love Perfect. I wanted a little 10, 12 minutes here where they could kind of go a bit back and forth, and five minutes, 
all done a bit easy I was a bit like oh it's disappointing yeah I think there's a couple of things there I think first of all I think you might be right old man about how this probably didn't do a lot for Texas Tornado because I think WWE were hedging their bets somewhat with the way Mm. they booked this like they were I think the reason it's short is because they wanted to really hammer home the impression that Mr. Perfect had taken Texas Tornado lightly and they were going to have that be his excuse for losing. And that would eventually lead to a rematch at some point in the future, whether they could then decide whether Kerry Von Erich was capable and over enough to carry the Intercontinental title for a long period of time. And obviously they decided he wasn't because he didn't end up being the champion for very long. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that. I think also the match isn't really long enough to be anything other than just okay that that happened and it it, it was fine but it, it's not you can't really single it out for particular praise and i think it would have been it would have made more even more sense had the first match not been curtailed and made short by the fact yeah. that Shawn michael's injury had come mm. along i reckon that first match might have been 10 to 12 maybe even 15 minutes long had that had Shawn michael's injury not occurred i think this is why this feels kind of strange because it, as i say it's really short and then what we get next as well is not even a match so it feels a bit like that first match was supposed to be longer, but then Michael got injured and it kind of messed up the opening of the show. It's a bit of a crap start, isn't it? That enthusiasm I had that Piper knocked a little bit out of me. These first two matches after this, I was a little bit like, well, obviously you can't help Michael's being injured. It's selfish for him because he needs to think about what's going to happen down the line. 31 years later, three studs are going to be talking about it. But yeah, and then the second match, I was a bit like, oh, is this going to be, is this going to be what it is? And then Mean Gene starts talking about Sweet Sapphire. Before we move on to that, um, there's a thing I also want to say about Kerry Von Erich here. Obviously, he, this is another, I think this signifies quite a key moment as well in the territories age. Because mm. the reason Kerry Von Erich has now been signed by WWF is because his family had sold world class to the Memphis-based territory, CWA, um, which then created the USWA, which is what they would end up being called until their finish in 1997. But this is effectively the moment, really, where there's only one territory left. You've got WWF and you've got WCW, or the national organizations that are owned by rich companies, or in the, you know, in the case of WWF, obviously a family company, but in WCW it was owned by um, Turner. In the meantime, the USWA is the last remaining territory there is as a consequence of what had just come before this, which is why Kerry Von Erich was now able to join WWF, because he had tried for so long to help his father's promotion uh, and help it through what had been a pretty tragic seven odd odd years since uh, or six years since David Von Erich died and obviously culminated in Kerry himself shooting himself in 1993 so a rough old story the Von Erich story really is yeah Uh, really really rough there's there's an episode of Dark Side of the Ring about them which is it's very good it's quite harrowing but it's a it's a very very interesting watch and you do feel really really bad for kevin yeah von eric the remaining member of the of the von eric family and the kind of weight on his shoulders of, of being the sole remaining member of the von eric family and that's very very sad it's worth watching though. he's he's a bit of a hippie isn't he and lives out in some yeah. countryside don't he and i said like, i can't bloody blame him i bet he just needed to get away from everything after the was it 10 15 years that his family had yeah, and uh, you know the the other thing to say just while we're on the subject, because I don't know if we'll ever see Kevin Von Erich in a match because he certainly was never in WWF and um, didn't. I don't think he's ever in NWA either. So unless we watch some world class at some point, I think he'd be 
we won't see him. I actually think having seen all of them fight, I think he's the best. Kevin Von Erich was excellent. He was really, really good, well ahead of his time in terms of what he did in his ring. He also wrestled barefoot, which was even quite rare, even back in the 1980s. But uh, yeah, just a, um, all three of them are really excellent wrestlers. And um, this, as I said, this isn't a very good um, demonstration of that. Oh, no, no, let's, let's, let's cheer things up now. This has got a bit, a bit depressing, isn't it? It's my first episode back. I want to talk about fucking sensational Sherry looking like a cat made out of tinfoil. Right, well, <laughs> let's let's get there first because we've got a backstage promo. Mean Gene Oakland is on his own backstage and he is celebrating Texas Tornado's win. He then says he had planned to talk to Sweet Sapphire, but for some reason she's not available, laying those breadcrumbs down for everybody to start getting interested in what's going to happen there. Um, I don't want well, any fucking breadcrumbs. I want that shit off the telly because this does my head in through this whole thing. You've got no uh-huh. fucking part, you fucking miserable old cunt. <laughs> this is lovely stuff, this story. This is perfect. Has Hoffman's nickname now finally graduated to old cunt? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> so Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect then uh, appear, having got back from the the arena. They arrive backstage and are very unhappy that they've lost the IC title. Heenan says that it's the worst officiating he's seen in his life. And Perfect says he'll get the title back soon. Next up, Sensational Sherry comes to the ring. Uh, for her scheduled match with Sapphire. But when Dusty Rhodes' music hits, she doesn't materialise. The music then plays again. She still doesn't materialise. Ronnie Piper during the segment keeps calling Sapphire Saffer. Saffer, keeps saying. It's really strange. Then Renee Goulet comes out, your favourite, Tom. Yeah, um, there he is. He hair. says he relays a message to Fink and Fink says that if Sapphire doesn't come to the ring in the next 30 seconds, she will forfeit the match. Sherry counts down the final 10 seconds and she is declared the winner by forfeit. The best thing about this entire segment, one, as I said, Sherry's get up is phenomenal. And also, it's good to hear Dusty Rhodes' music twice. Yeah, you get, you get, I think you get it three times in this segment and then you get it again later on. You get it later on. So, I mean, what a fucking pay-per-view this is. This is shaping up to be what an event. I mean, I'll be honest, it's better than most music festivals I've ever been to. <laughs> is it? better than a rock and roll concert like the hardy boys are <laughs> i tell you what old man it's not better than kevin rudolph that's all i can say oh tinky's love of oh you wait you wait <laughs> until the previous week's episode to this comes out and you can get it in your ears so i did not like this and poor sweet Saffer. i think she really suffers Saffer suffers because of what's come before it, I think. At this point, I'm sat here watching it. It was a Wednesday evening. I'm just trying to have a nice time. I'm just trying to have a nice time. And they're serving me up a big old plate of shit. We've had a tanned kneecap, a blah match, and now no match. Rene Goulet, I thought, was going to take Saffer's place. So I was a bit like, well, I mean, their hair's pretty similar. May as well. Doesn't. I'm then disappointed. And then they go backstage and they're talking to Dusty Rhodes and he is selling his little heart out and he's looking for Saffa and he's got help from fucking Hacksaw. And you've got no hope, have you? The poor woman. <laughs> you see, you've got no hope. She could be stood next to him and he probably won't find her. Yes. So backstage after Sensational Sherry has been declared the winner, Gene Oakland is with Dusty Rhodes. Dusty says he's been looking everywhere for Sapphire, but he can't find her. He says that they arrived at the arena and then 10 minutes later, she disappeared and he hasn't seen her since. 
Jim Duggan then walks onto the screen. <laughs> really, this is maybe this really made me laugh. Duggan walks onto the screen, and Rhodes asks him if he knows where Sapphire is, and Jim Duggan says very woodenly, "No, I don't know where she is, but we're all looking for her, Dusty." And then leaves. That's it. It's all he does. He just walks onto screen, gets asked the question, answers it, and then walks back off. It's so unnatural. It's untrue. And then uh, they talk about the gifts that uh, Sapphire's recently been receiving, which include. Which include a, a Cadillac and a fur coat and various other things. Hacksaw Jim Duggan's got the look of a man who's been frantically trying to fuck his own armpit, hasn't he? <laughs> what? He looks. He's confused. He's a sweaty yeah. mess. He's got a giant bag in it. He's just an absolute state of walking. I I I figured he was just a state because someone had said we need someone for this this segment. We need them to just walk onto the screen and be asked by Dusty where Sapphire is, and then say I don't know and walk off. And I think he was just like it was like he'd pulled been pulled into it at the last minute, and they were like, "Quick, Jim, come here. We need you to do this. We we need someone to competently deliver two lines of dialogue. <laughs> Anybody up for it? Axel. <laughs> oh fuck me. All right, go on then. Go on then. Give it your best, Jim. Has he even got his two by four in his hand? I don't know. Can't remember. I don't think he has. Well, although according to Tommy, he's got another two by four in his hand. It's bloody cock. <laughs> <laughs> and the four is the whip. Yeah. Please, he's got a chewed. <laughs> Axel chewed Duggan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the uh, the. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was saying all these years. Yeah, that time, yeah. Thought, yeah. To be fair, it makes more sense than just yelling at oh, the big misogynist. Um. <laughs> so the next match is the Warlord versus Tito Santana in another five-minute match, and this one ends when Warlord blocks a slingshot out of the ring and then hits a running power slam for the pinfall. Oh man, your thoughts on this one? Well, Tito Santana's music is fantastic. Mm. Probably that just goes with the territory. Um, this was, I'd completely forgot about this, but I blocked it from my brain. This is where Piper makes a couple of racist, you know, stereotypical comments about Mexicans. Yeah, it does. So he, uh, I think he calls Tito Santana a bean flicker at one point. And he I says, like, I'm not sure he, what he's getting at. But. Well, he, he says... Um, he won't call Tito a taco bender or a bean eater. A uh, bean eater, <laughs> which That's makes more sense because bean flicker. I was like, what's he getting at? Is he is he good with the ladies? <laughs> Here he is in the old bean flicker. Anyway, back to the match at hand. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring it back, lads. So this is this is all right. This is designed to make Warlord look like an absolute titan. And who better to do it than Tito? Who better than Tito? No one, basically. And that's kind of it, really. Warlord's still crap, even with Tito in there. But you know what? It works because in about nine months' time, we're going to have a lovely little match between him and the Bulldog. And this, I reckon, was the match that turned it (laughs) for the Warlord. This was, of course, Steve Austin before he lost all the weight. (laughs) I'll tell you what. If Steve Austin's neck was like Warlord's, I know I commented on how broad his neck was. I don't think Owen Hart's legs would have spread wide enough to get his head through his legs to break his neck. Maybe. <laughs> Again, we've discussed this before. I prefer the Warlord in Powers of Pain, if I'm <laughs> being honest. We all know this. Yeah, what old man said. I just one, one little note. I love, love the old, old British Warlord used to do it as well, the old running power plan. Love the little bit of protection. 
tuck the head on the running power slam. Lovely old job. That's all I got, boys. Well, do you know what Warlord used to do, apparently? He used to rub feces in his belly button and then shove their face into it. That's not true, is it? Hey, that's up to you to figure out. <laughs> so let's go around and find the Warlord and sniff his belly button. Come on, Lordy, give us a sniff. Oh, that'd be awful if it was actually true and you did that. You end up up with Warlord shit flakes on your nose, you dirty sod. Yes, so as we said, this is where Piper's commentary really does start (laughs) to become problematic. He does the Mexican stuff and then he also does the racist noises towards Slick. Um, He also says at one point, I'll take a cab and two pizzas, please. I believe that's also in direction to Slick, suggesting I I don't know what, but... Mm. You know, he, he's all over the place here, Piper. He's not good at all. And he's, yeah, he's problematic, as we've said. The five-minute match, another one. It's fine. But we are, it's all very kind of rushy-rushy through all this stuff. And I feel yeah. very much like that opener was really supposed to be longer originally. Couldn't be because of Shawn Michaels' injury. And then it's let all this stuff down because, as you say, you've got a non-match, two five-minute matches. It's all just a bit throwaway, a bit forgettable. I guess... Probably you'd have to consider at the time that the Texas Tornado winning the Intercontinental title was a bit of a moment when the IC title still meant something in mm. fairness. But um, overall, not the best start to the show. No, it's uh, my erection's pretty much gone at this point. I've got to be honest. Well, not surprised after you've been sniffing Warlord's belly button. <laughs> well, to be fair, that that was the one thing that almost got it back up. <laughs> I just want enough fecal matter in there. So after this, we get a very, very short advert for the Survivor Series, which includes the great traditional survivor series music with the old saxophone lovely stuff um (laughs) sean mooney is then backstage with demolition for an interview it's axe smash and crush they say it could be any combo of them defending the titles and they say they will demolish the heart foundation mooney then asks them what if they beat the hearts whether they'll defend against the legion of doom and they say that the legion of doom are just second rate imposters yeah, so they are, you shit houses. <laughs> so, and really, in truth, like, we've talked about this before, but let's be honest, it's the powers of pain who are the real rip-offs of the Legion of Doom, not really Demolition. They're quite different, Demolition, I think. Yeah, well, De- Demolition had the good tie, didn't they? Yeah. But now I know, I'm pretty sure they did have a little, I'm pretty sure the uh, the old Road Warriors did have a little bit of the old S&M looks and the old dog collars and big, like, mm-hmm. leather wristbands, but it wasn't for, like... Get masks, <laughs> leather shit on the way down, was it? In no. the same way. Although, one thing I will say, I was delighted by about this. Well, first, actually, first of all, we'll come to that in a minute. But the promos are very, very entertaining. I thought it was quite good. I like the, the way that the demolition members repeat themselves. <laughs> so, when, when yeah. I cross, it's like, yeah, it can be me and Axe or me and Smash, and then Smash like, could be me and Crush, or me and Axe. But they say three combinations each time, so they're like, you just said that already, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. And I thought that the, the Heart Foundation promo was really fun as well, in particular Jim Neidhart's part, where he's just so entertaining and charismatic. And people talk, people slag off right as a promo. It's a decent promo as well, his, his promo, and it's nothing special, but it's pretty good. Gets to the point. With all these late Hart Foundation interviews, I always think about something that Bret Hart says, I think on Wrestling With Shadows, where he says, I can't remember exactly when it was, but at some point he says that when they first got together, Jim Neidart was the talker and he was the wrestler. And by this point, I'm like, so what part does Jim Neidart play now? <laughs> because yeah. he's not either anymore. He can't 
the, the bits where I've got my notes for this are backstage interview with the Heart Foundation. Brett says it's been a little confusing not knowing who they're going to face, but he expected to face the original members of Demolition because this is after Demolition have come to the ring. And so we now know it's Smash and Crush. And then Jim Neidart says some crazy stuff. Brett Hart says it's just like Phil Collins said tonight's <laughs> case of two hearts beating as one. Yeah, which is not which is not right. Is it? It's two hearts living in just one mind. So he gets it wrong. <laughs> oh, Brett, get your Collins right, lad. You know, you're the best there is, but get your Collins right. I just love the fact that Anvil's just a nutcase. He's just an absolute nutcase. He's just laughing. He's grabbing his beard. It's a bit of fun, this. And I think I just needed a bit of fun. I've seen Mr. Perfect's dick. I've seen Haxel Jim Duggan do some terrible acting. I know, and we'll get into it, I already know where this sweet sapphire thing's going. And I just needed a bit of fun. And old, old Night, I almost called him Duggan then. Too many bloody gyms. That's the trouble in this world. Uh, yeah, old Night, just a bit of fun. Just a bit of fun. And also, I was looking forward to the match. So they could have just stood farting for a couple of minutes. That would have still been excited. Do the Heart Foundation come down with the leather jackets on? Yes. I would have assumed that because it's SummerSlam, it's in summer, there'd be no jacket required. <laughs> oh fucking hell. Well, I, we should have felt we should have felt that one coming in the air tonight, I think. I feel. Yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose the thing with me and you think is that we always take stuff at face value, don't we? <laughs> yeah, this is really is one for the kids. <laughs> That's it. I'm I'm all out of Phil Collins songs, I'm afraid. And the, unless oh. I can find a way to include Su Su Studio into this uh equation. So, yes, this next match is for the tag team title. It's a two out of three falls match. It features Demolition defending their belts against the Hart Foundation. Tom, you got your arm up. That's very polite of you. It is, just because before we get into the match, I want to acknowledge that for the first time I've ever seen a Demolition match on the WWE Network, they've actually got their music, Mm. which Mm. is lovely, because I always complain about it not being on there. And it is. What is going on then? Because I didn't notice that it was there. I didn't notice that it wasn't there. But... If that's the case and it was here then and it's not usually there, why is it not usually there? No idea. There's also another bit of weird confusion with someone else's entrance music later on as well. Yeah, there is. Very odd. So this one is 14 minutes in length. The first fall goes the way of Demolition when uh, Demolition hit their finisher and pin Hart. Uh, then the second fall is won by the Heart Foundation, as you might, imani- uh, might imagine, when Brett hits the Heart Attack, but Crush stops Hebner from making the count, which earns Demolition a disqualification to make it 1-1. One, one, one. And then the end, so one of the stipulations of the match is that Crush and Smash have to be the only members of Demolition at ringside. There can't be all three of them. But halfway through the match, Axe does run to the ring and hides underneath it which is probably the best bit of commentary by Rodney Piper during the show, because he protests that Axe isn't actually at ringside. He's underneath the ring, which is not the same <laughs> as at ringside. Um, Axe and Smash then switch places, which allow Demolition to take control. But after a tilt-wheel backbreaker from Crush, Anvil gets in the ring uh, to try and break up a pinfall. This means that the referee then attempts to stop Anvil getting in the ring, and Axe and Smash then double-team Bret Hart outside the ring until Legion of Doom come down and fish Axe from under the ring, get rid of him. This causes a bit of a distraction, and then in the ensuing melee, Bret Hart tucks down behind one of... uh, Is it Crush? And yeah, then so. Am- Anvil does the shoulder barge over the over the ropes and allow and Brett rolls him up for the pin. 
they become the new tag team champions. Big pop. Everyone's very, very yeah. happy. Um, mm-hmm. a bit of a bit of a busy ending, but how do we feel about it overall, Tom? I mean, a 14-minute-long Bret Hart match is always going to be good in my books. I did feel a bit sorry for poor old Axe, because knowing how much of a bad back he had at this stage in his career, making him go underneath the ring <laughs> seemed particularly harsh, and making him get back out. Um, it's it's quite good. I, I quite enjoyed it. Like As I said, I, I'm always going to, but I was coming up a bit excited, like the bit with Bret outside playing possum, although not really acknowledged, but he was because I know what it looks like when Brett's playing possum, um, was, was great. I like just that the, the Heart Foundation always did quite cool double team moves. Like there's a bit where Anvil kind of gets Brett Hart from the second rope. He's, Brett's like on the second rope and Anvil grabs him and like body slams him onto one of the members of Demolition, mm. like backwards. It's, it's quite a cool spot. The Heart Attack's a really cool finisher, yet so basic, but it just looks great because when Brett comes off of that clothesline, it looks like he fucking kills him when he does it, which is amazing. And apparently Vince McMahon made the Heart Foundation do that to him in a strip club once. And he yes. probably took his head off, apparently. Um, I've always quite liked Demolition, despite, despite the fact they're incredibly basic. They've never been great workers, and so they really thought they'd add a real fucking workhorse to it by adding crutch to the, to the, uh, <laughs> to, to the lads as well. And it just sets up... I'm going to kind of segue a little bit into the interviews afterwards, or, or the, that interview. It just segues straight nicely from Brett... Brett and, and Anvil winning the tag team titles, saying that they would be they'll be fighting champions and, and acceptable challenges coming on, and then it segues nicely into a feud between the Legion of Doom and Demolition. The there's a bit in the post match interview where obviously Anvil, uh, where uh, Hawk can't help himself but has a little has a little tug on Anvil's beard, and the uh, spikes from the uh, from the shoulder pads uh, keep irritating Mean Gene and hit him in the hit him in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> which is just quite funny. And then it cuts to Sean Mooney being outside Demolition's dressing room and he can't interview them because they're so angry. And he says, worth noting, they're not they're not ranting about the Heart Foundation. They're ranting about Legion of Doom and how what they're going to do to them. So just so simple, really easy, but just quite well done. Gets the belt onto new people. They get to challenge someone else. The existing champion, the previous champions go to a feud with the people they perceive to have cost them the match. Easy. You've got four, four, uh, two new matches, four new teams coming out of that. In, in various different scenarios, whereas now they'd have a rematch on Raw the next night and at the next four pay-per-views. So, <laughs> so it's nice that, they, that, that, that that's kind of showing how it can be done. So what, to be fair, I've watched four other matches with these lads. Bloody electricness. Absolutely. I think I needed it. Like I said, I needed the Anvil promo because it was a bit of fun. This is really good. The wrestling's great. It's going to be Broward's in there. So you, you know you're going to get some good stuff. Anvil's great in this. I think Demolition are great as well. I love the the old switcheroo. Absolutely love that. As much as I enjoyed the match, I, it felt like it was kind of plodding a little bit until that point. I kind of was like, oh, how are they going to get to the finish? And I thought the finish was much easier to follow than it was for you lads who put an absolute shift in explaining it. And I just thought this was great. Crowd lap it up. Like, it's been a long old road for the Heart Foundation, but like they say, the way that the crowd react just shows you can't hurry love. <laughs> Very good. Um, no, I agree with you, old man. I think this was really good. And I'm, I'm really happy that you um, acknowledged everyone because I thought everyone really did well yeah. in this match. I thought everybody contributed really well. Even, dare I say, Crush. Even Crush. He, you know good. what? He bloody was as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought... He must have been living separate lives 
like from when he was wrestling every other match apart from this one. I remember this being a a good match and then thought, oh, is it is it going to be good though? It's still demolition. Let's not get too carried away. And <laughs> it's 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 really good. It's a really fun, enjoyable match that goes 14 minutes. Get gives you everything you want. I'm sure Brett had a large amount to do with plotting it out and pacing it and yeah. all that stuff. But everybody does their job and it's just really good. And and the Legion of Doom do add to it. You know, them coming out, yes. the crowd get really excited. And and as you said, Tom, then they perfectly transition to this feud between Legion of Doom and Demolition, which would ultimately really be the end for Demolition. I know that they did appear at the following year's WrestleMania, but they really didn't do much after that point. Um, they've obviously added Crush by this point, not because of an injury to Axe, by the way. It's because he had developed an allergy to seafood and had gotten ill at one point. And Vince was worried it was going to happen again. So he brought in a third member mm. of the team. Really strange thing to bring yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's very specific, isn't it? It's 30 eats of fucking prawns, mate. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but really odd. I, and also, obviously, the problem was, was Crush was known for carrying bags of seafood with him wherever he went. <laughs> it was I bet he was. For poor old I bet he was, because he was trying to steal his spot, I'd imagine, all the way through. <laughs> and then he acts, um, left the company not long you know not long, not long after the following year's wrestlemania and he was then in a long dispute over the trademark to the demolition team because it was his original idea but wwf ultimately owned it because he worked for them whilst he made the idea and so it was just a long protracted fallout between the company and and bill Eady, who played axe i um remember at the time when crush turned up i can't remember watching the actual debut but i can remember having the WWF magazine saying about it. And obviously this is, you know, four months, three months pre-Undertaker. And being like, God, that guy's massive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just being like, oh my God, this guy is fucking enormous. What an enormous man. There's never going to be anyone bigger. Even though we'd obviously seen Andre before. But you know what I mean? Like, in, in context of when I was saying being absolutely huge and being terrified of him. Yeah, and then he turned out to be crushed. And his name is Brian Adams. So you're like, yeah. worried about him anymore. So at that point, I think is a good time to take a break and we'll come back in just a moment uh, where we'll cover the rest of the show. All right, we are back down to the locker room. This is a political year. And to tell you the truth, ladies and gentlemen, I would hate to be an incumbent. My goodness, the way World Wrestling Federation titles are falling tonight, first with the new Intercontinental title and now two tag team, new tag team champions. These gentlemen, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, what in the world were you doing out of the ring? Let me tell you something, Gene. Week after week after week, we've come out here and said, we want demolition. And you ignored us, demolition. Well, now we hope you're mad. We hope you're good, man, because demolition, we want you in the worst way. Tell them, Hawk. You've been running roughshod over everybody. Well, if you look roughshod, up in the dictionary, you'll see a picture of us. You're micro mini men in a big man's world, and we're the big men. Oh, what a rush! A rush for us! A bum trip for you! Hey, 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 wait a minute! All of a sudden, new tag team champions, Brett the Hitman Hart, against against all odds. We'll take on anybody, baby. The Hart Foundation, the Pink and Buck, is back, yeah. Brett the Hitman Hart. Behind these belts, we're not gonna hide behind these belts. We'll take on anybody, anytime, anywhere. Where's the champagne? 
belongs to the people. Right, Apple? Right, Hitman, baby! Against all odds! Two on two, three on three, ten on ten, whatever! Wait a minute, now, now just exactly how does the Legion of Doom fit into the scheme of things? The Legion of Doom fits in any way they want. And you ask about the champagne? Listen, we ain't got no woes to drink away. Demolition does, Gene. All right, uh, gentlemen, I've got to tell you, a lot of action out of that ring. I couldn't make heads or tails of half the things that were happening. The one thing I know for a fact is that we have brand new tag team champions, <laughs> Brett the Hit Bad Heart, Jim the Anvil Nightheart. You've smelled the roses before. We capture the titles here from Demolition at SummerSlam. Let's go out to the great end, Vince McMahon. Okay, welcome back. And uh, what we get next is a WrestleMania 7 advert with the infamous And They're Off beginning, which shows the yes. Yes, this is brilliant. Driving forward, and it's got all kinds of people on different vehicles, which ends with Dusty Rhodes riding the back of a dustbin lorry. <laughs> <laughs> dustbin <laughs> Rhodes. Dustbin Rhodes. They really, you know, they really took the common man thing to, quite literally, didn't they? The next thing that we see, as you said before the break, Tom, is Gene Oakland interviewing the Legion of Doom backstage. Uh, Animal says that he hopes Demolition are mad and they will now fight them. The Heart Foundation arrive on the scene. And they say they'll take on anybody and they'll be fighting champions. And the four of them all have a little bit of fun with Mean Gene Oakland. And uh, there's also another Phil Collins reference where I think it might be Anvil says that they did it against all odds. Then, as you say, we have Sean Mooney outside Demolition's uh, dressing room door where we can hear raised voices. And <laughs> the door won't be opened. L- lovely delivery. <laughs> uh, What's that from? It's, it's from something. Oh, it's from Red Dwarf. It's, that's what I was thinking of when I said it. Um, what is in Red Dwarf? Anyway. In Red Dwarf? Yeah, it's where the two rimmers are shouting at each other and then one uh, of them comes into the bedroom and this, this says, everything okay? I thought I heard raised voices. Um, and the door won't, won't open as Mooney tries to get in. He's doing the old trick of holding the uh, door yeah. handle <laughs> yeah. and, and opening it and closing it to make it look like the the, the ruckus inside is that uh, that crazy. Then we get Oakland backstage with Sensational Ser- Sherry. She says she can gloat all she wants as Sapphire was too intimidated to face her in their match. Um, Sherry then alludes that maybe Sapphire has become smarter than everybody first thought and says that she's heard some rumours about Sapphire that she's unwilling to repeat. Any further comments on this? I know that, Tom, you already spoke about some of that stuff prior to the break. I have a point. So Sensational Sherry, the cat lady, has not been very nice about Sapphire, but for some reason won't talk about these rumours. Just doesn't really make any sense to me. Like, well, hang on, you're slagging her off, slag her off some more. Come on, I don't want this to go on. This is the one thing I can remember from this card from my youth. I don't <laughs> want this to go on. Cut the agony. Um, I put down that Sean Mooney's a pervert. That's what I put for his little stint listening outside. But that bloody, like a little pervert listening to people have sex. Horrible. Horrible little mullet as well, waving. Are you suggesting that Crush, Smash and Axe were having sex in their dressing room? Well, what else are they fucking doing in there? You saw the garb that they're wearing. They're whipping each other to high heaven. Oh, God knows, God knows the sort of stuff they're getting up to. Jesus yeah. Christ. The, there is then a strange intermission bit where the 
kind of the screen fades to black and we get the SummerSlam logo come up. It only lasts like literally a second on the WWE Network. I wonder if this was a good 15 minutes or or maybe five minutes or something in reality. Um, when we come back from the intermission, we're with Gene Oakland. He's then running down the rest of the card. So he's talking about the fact that we've got Jake Roberts facing Bad News Brown. We've got... Uh, various other bits and pieces which I can't bother to go into now because we'll, we'll come to them in just a moment. But yeah, there's a weird sort of break in the show here, which I don't really don't really understand. Then we get backstage Sean Mooney with Nikolai Volkov and Jim Dog- Duggan. This is all following the end of the Cold War and the new relationship between the US and Russia. And they cut a little promo saying that they're now in the spirit of cooperation following all of that going on and Volkov is pretty much now an American patriot which I, I think is, is a step is too far yeah <laughs> is, is this um is this the period of the show where there's about 25 backstage interviews yes that's exactly oh. where we are it's fucking mad this bit like I'm thinking to myself like now without wanting to give the game away obviously you guys discussed when you had James on about the period the the, the fact that it takes quite a long time to put old big blue up so why is this now and not before then I guess obviously there aren't as many matches to talk about, I suppose, but it just seems like a really odd time because then that means there's two periods in this card where there's loads of stuff not happening in the arena. Like if you were in the crowd, you'd have been spitting feathers. I'd shit. I I go back to the first match. I think ultimately this is all because the first match couldn't be 15 minutes in length. So you've had to fill a load of time. And I think this is what happens here because we then get Gene Oakland with Earthquake, Dino Bravo and Jimmy Hart. And we see some footage of Earthquake beating Hogan down on the Brother Love show. Uh, Then we see uh, Tugboat being destroyed by Earthquake and Dino Bravo. And then then Bravo (laughs) tells Earthquake that he doesn't have to worry about anyone who is stupid enough to be in Hogan's corner for the match. In the midst of all this, Earthquake's actually cutting quite a good promo, I think. But there's just a lot of stuff flicking to different, you know, different bits of footage. So we've got... Obviously, Earthquake, 27 at this point. The obligatory mention of his age. Mm -hmm. Um, Dino Bravo speaks. And I was like, this is the first time I can remember hearing his voice. Oh, Dino. And I thought, to be honest, I thought his promo was all right as well. I thought out out of all of these little bits, this is probably the best one. But they keep mentioning how there's going to be two stretches outside the ring. And I'm like, you know what? I get on board with that. See if it happens. <laughs> oh, um, one thing we did miss before we move on. There's a bit where um, old Mean Gene talks about the Jake Roberts Bad News Brown match. So they show the sewer rats <laughs> that Bad News Brown has, which uh, I can't figure out if they're real. They don't look very real and they're not moving. But Mean Gene is delighted because Damien is in the shower. <laughs> He looks like a dog with two dicks. Oh, Gene, talking about Damien, loves it. That is the best part of Damien's night. Yeah. Yes. Um, I uh, go back to this this bit. There's not much to say about all of it, other than it feels like it goes on for a very long time. But I think it was, I think it might have been, Tinky, back in your squash days with Alex Shane, when I think Alex Shane mentioned that Dino Bravo says, Earthquake! He's going to say that they and I can't unhear it. No. That's right, he it's does. Amazing. Mighty quick. <laughs> God, do you know? You're a fucking cigarette selling lunatic. 
And there is one more interview, which is Sean Mooney interviewing Jake Roberts. And there is lots of talk about hungry animals. And that was as far as my notes took me, mm. because there was so much promo, so many promos. Yes. I mean, don't forget, before the break, we'd already had LOD and Demolition and the Heart Foundation, Sensational Sherry. We then had Oakland talking about all the matches. Sean Mooney with Volkov and Jim Duggan. Then we had Earthquake, Dito Bravo and Jimmy Hart. Then we had Jake Roberts. I thought, I'm not taking any more notes. I'm done with this. these promos. Forget it. So I didn't, I say, didn't take any notes. I completely forgot a bit as well. When um, Mooney's chatting to Haxel and Volkov, oh, Volkov, he's a big old fan of Haxel. He says, Haxel Jim Duggan is my idol. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine if that bloody chode is your idol. Bloody heck. Onto the Jake Roberts promo. It's, it's all right. He is sweating. Oh, God. Like, I've rarely seen a man sweat in my life. And I've watched a lot of sweaty men. But uh, my God, this really takes the biscuit and then sweats on it. And then comes on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then eats it. <laughs> so the next match sees Jake the Snake Roberts against a Bad News Brown. Uh, has a special guest referee, which is Big Boss Man. Yeah. And where do I go with this? So I've got to remember what's actually happened. And uh, that is not. I, it's all right. I can do it. Well, then old the, man's going to take us through this time. DQ finish is a bit weak. Because it's crap. Because Bad News tries to leg drop Damien. There's a little scuffle. And then Jake scares Bad News with Damien. I don't know what happens. Because I was so annoyed by it. Because it's so crap. So I was here, I was here thinking, oh man, would have it all together. No. You'd be able to string it. So here's what happens. I've remembered now. It's all good. <laughs> so See, that's, you... what, that's what you needed. An incoherent bold man <laughs> getting angry about something. This was right. Those, pro- those promos. I knew I'd peaked. Uh, that tag match and uh, my erection is basically inverted now <laughs> so what 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 happens here is that uh bad news brown sort of knocks jake roberts out of the ring he then gets uh, back into the ring and grabs damien he goes to drop an elbow on it but big boss man manages to pull the the bag containing damien out of the way then big boss man chases jake roberts out of the ring grabs a steel chair hits jake roberts with it and gets disqualified by the boss man boss man then uh, attempts to make brown go away but brown attacks him when he turns his back and then uh, jake roberts makes a save with damien by draping damien over bad news brown it's a pretty fucking shit match in general and it's a pretty <laughs> fucking shit end as well tom so i don't know if that's this might be my sleep deprivation getting the better of me but oh, i quite enjoyed, i quite enjoyed this match and the thing that got me got me thinking about it was that tinky cut, cut his mic cut his mic <laughs> he's gone he's gone <laughs> but i've always really liked bad news brown i've always been a big fan of bad news brown he's He's not a very good wrestler at all. He's, he's in the rings awful. But he seems, and probably because he is very much like his character, he seems so, like, such a prick, <laughs> let's be honest. But I've always enjoyed him. I used to love it when he was in, like, Survivor Series teams, and he'd just, like, fuck off halfway through the match because he'd get into an argument with his with his teammates. I, I, I've always just quite liked Big Brian. Uh, Big Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a fan of Big Brian. And I've... And, and, I didn't think the match was, was that awful. The one thing I will say that was a little bit disappointing about the match was that Big Boss Man as a referee went in his Shawn Michaels little shorts. <laughs> lovely. We would have definitely seen his bloody trunch in there, wouldn't we? Yeah, that would have been, that would have been amazing. But no, it, like it's not very good. It's, it's not very good. And, and I must say as well, 
again, maybe it's the, the, the fatherhood in me making me feel sympathetic for things that I ordinarily wouldn't. But that fucking snake gets a fucking rough time. Oh, not only does not only does it get, I mean, it's a big fucker as well. But not only does it get slung into the ring with its usual disdain as it as it ordinarily does, hmm. but like it gets fucking whacked out. There's a bit where where you can see that the snake's pissed off because Jake Roberts grabs him and then like chucks him down and he goes after him. I just felt really, and you know me, lads. I fucking hate snakes. I'm scared of them to death. But I felt really sorry for the snake in this match. Is all because I was like, that's not, that's no way to treat an animal. Yes, um, this is another match that contains a bit of Piper stuff. So at one point during the match, Piper says that Brown's head is so oily that the Arabs will be after him soon. Bloody heck! I uh, well, that passed me by. Jesus. Yeah, it's actually quite obscured because there's a lot of stuff going on at the same time, but he's talking about his head, and mm. yeah, I just noticed it because it was just not a good. I, I'm just, uh, it was not good. Piper was not good here. This is fucking rubbish. I'm sorry, it's just so bad. <laughs> I'm, I actually quite like Bad News Brown as well, but I wasn't liking this. Bad News, uh, Alan Coage is his real name, Alan mm-hmm. Coage, and he was a bronze medalist at in judo. Judo, in, yeah. Yeah, in the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal. Bloody hell. So fair Wait, play to all uh, Bad so- News. Should he have won gold? Was that the first Montreal screw job? <laughs> Probably. I can only imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. He was uh, he was quite big in uh, Stampede, wasn't he? Got a big name in Stampede wrestling. He was one of their heels, yeah. So uh, we then get the same WrestleMania Seven advert for yeah. the Los Angeles Coliseum with the um, the numbers once again being repeated. We know, having watched it uh, in a previous episode, it doesn't take place at the Los Angeles Coliseum yeah. in the end. Um, because they couldn't sell enough tickets, although they obviously put it down to security concerns. Well, of course it was. Because, um, slaughter. Yeah, you don't want someone bombing slaughter, do you, with that chin? If that chin exploded, you kill at least seven or eight rows of people. If, there's a, if there was ever a chin that could take a fucking bomb to it, though, it'd be <laughs> Just bounce off and fuck off land somewhere else i remember i think it was in wwf magazine or somewhere i, I don't know where it was actually it could have even been a letter into paris Land. someone suggested that china might be sergeant slaughter's daughter because their chins looked very similar <laughs> and it was i think it was in paris someone asked legitimately asked the question thinking that you know this is what wrestling does isn't it they bring people in as a character and then yeah. kind of don't tell you whether they're related or not but anyway then gene oakland is backstage with demolition and they say that the only reason that the heart foundation won is thanks to lod and i want to take the opportunity at this point because we've still got more in fact there's still loads more talking to come i want to take the po- the chance at this point to say that we have in the past bemoaned the lack of pre-match and post-match interviews on wrestling shows on this show it's way too much it's just way too much they've got the balance all wrong here it's literally after every match there's a uh, there's two promos practically after every match and as you say the middle bit where there's like seven in a row there's another talking segment to come next then we get more um more promos there's two adverts for the survivor series there's two adverts for wrestlemania Mm. it is just way too much during the show it's all going. It's really hard going. It's all going, lads. And that continues with what's next because we get Brother Love's show with Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter is talking about how America has become weak and he was has recently been looking for a recipient of the Sergeant Slaughter Strong American Award, um, but couldn't find one until he looked into the WWF and decides to present Brother Love himself with the award. 
Slaughter says he's declaring war on Nikolai Volkov and says that America is too chicken to declare war. He calls Volkov a pinkoid commie scum. And then Slaughter says that if war broke out in the Middle East tomorrow, Saddam Hussein would kick our boys' butts. So Sergeant Slaughter already very much nailing his mast to the Iraq side of the first Gulf War. Yeah, any thoughts on the Brother Love show here? I don't know if it's, looking back on it with Bruce Tinnacle, and, and having been quite a fan of Bruce Pritchard, and specifically in this podcast, I appreciate Brother Love a lot more than I used to. He is intolerable. He it looks disgusting. His hair is foul. The fake tan, the gloves, his voice cuts right through you. His delivery is horrible. And that's exactly how it should be. He's just a really un- thoroughly unpleasant person to watch. Mm. And it is, it's perfect. It's, it's, it just nails it, I think. The sort of sort of promotes a bit shit, as you yeah. have said. Um, and it's a stupid segment that's got no time on a pay-per-view. Um, but I just wanted to kind of single out big, uh, big Brucey P for his performance as Brother Love in this segment. Oh, and I also love this music plays in the background the entire time. Yes. I don't know why, but it's just a nice touch. This is so crap that the crowd forget to boo Saddam Hussein. <laughs> I mean, the crowd are very much channeling my energy levels at this point. I think they're really struggling. They've not even had the promos, the lucky sods. Mind you, they have had to sit on their hands. But this isn't good. And this is one of those where they've obviously, as you uh said Tinky, they've nailed their colours to the mast in terms of what they're going to do for WrestleMania. They are back in that horse. They're riding it. They've got Sergeant Sword. He's a big old man with a big old chin. He's on a big horse and he's going to ride it to WrestleMania. I think nowadays, if it got the reaction that this does, they'd probably just be like, we ain't doing that fucking shit because it ain't going to work. Well, I wasn't sure. I mean, I know I said he nailed his, ma- his colours to the mask of the Iraq flag, but I wasn't sure that that meant that definitely they were already preparing for WrestleMania. Mm. And I wondered here, because he says if war breaks out. So clearly at this point in time, and it's difficult because we don't, I don't know the exact timing of when war was declared and all the escalations that built up to it. But clearly at this time, WF didn't know that there was going to be a war. And also they didn't probably know that the war was going to end before WrestleMania or even <laughs> yeah. that it, it might have even started well, like for all they knew at the time, it might have started in a month and then would have been over before the end of the year. Therefore, certainly they couldn't have carried it through to WrestleMania and probably wouldn't have done by that point. Although you never, never count them out. They may have done that. But yeah. they're also obviously promoting WrestleMania 7 a lot here and they really think that they can get that really big crowd. I I just don't understand. And I don't want to talk about it too much because obviously we've got them both coming up later on, but surely the, the original idea was Hogan Warrior 2. Surely that was the original idea for WrestleMania 7. Well, it's definitely better than fucking <laughs> Sergeant Storm. Sergeant is just not. I mean, to be fair, we did WrestleMania 7. He puts an absolute shift in and I ain't going to slag him off for that, but no one wants to watch it. No, um, it's not good. Anyway, that's over. I think this, I think in fairness, this segment would have been a little bit more palatable in a show where there wasn't already huge yes. breaks of talking. Mm. Um, I think if that bit after the strange intermission hadn't happened, you might have got away with this. But that we've had that, I think is, you know. That middle bit, it's either going to be like a toy advert or something like that. Or was it something so bad they had to cut it? Well, they, they say, actually, like, I think it's Oakland says, oh, welcome back from intermission. So it feels ah. like there's some kind of intermission that takes place. You don't need an intermission. You've done a thousand promos. The crowd don't need a rest. 
I don't I, so I don't know what happened, but it's it's strange. So Sean Mooney is then next up, up backstage, another Sean Mooney segment with yeah. Mr. Fuji, um, Mr. Saito and Pat Tanaka. They talk briefly before they are interrupted by Gene Oakland, who is with Sapphire. He's managed to get hold of Sapphire, but he can't get a word with her as she slams her dressing room door behind her, refusing to talk to Mean Gene. That takes us then to ringside, where we get the Orient Express versus Jim Duggan and Nikolai Volkov in a match. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a horse in the room. <laughs> this match lasts three minutes and 20 seconds. The Orient Express cut the ring off on Volkov until Volkov gets the hot tag to Duggan and he pins Tanaka after a football tackle finish. Tom, seeing as you were so vocal in your horsey way, <laughs> what did you think of this one? I mean, it's fucking three minutes and 19 seconds too fucking long, isn't it, for a start? <laughs> when you're relying on Nikolai Volkov to do the majority of the work in the ring, you know you're, you know you're having a bit of a rough time, aren't you? There's a bit of the beginning where they sing the national anthem which is terrible and glorious in, in equal measure because it's so awful. And like Nikolai Volkov, I think might might be a, might have a little bit of a voice about him, but Hacksaw Jim Duggan certainly does not. <laughs> um, and, it, oh, God, it's the highlight of the match is Mr. Fuji whacking Nikolai Volkov with his king. That's the best bit. He just, and he just goes, <clears throat> and just gives him a little jab in the shoulder with it. That's, that's it. It is fucking crap. So the, the, the song they sing beforehand is God Bless America, not the national. Yeah, and that, that as well. That's, that's rubbish. Um, and of course, of course, Volkov's got a fucking voice. He's been singing his entire career before matches, but obviously yeah. previously doing the Russian national anthem. It's a tribute to Kate Smith, who I'm going to be honest, I'm not up on American I history. Um, I don't know who that is. Who is it, old man? So she used to sing God Bless America at Philadelphia Flyers games, but she was also a big advocate for racial equality in America. And she was one of the first people to stick her head above the parapet when she made a statement about racial equality on the radio in 1945, Mm. just after the end of the uh, Second World War. And she said how America should welcome other nations. So she's a bit of a good egg. And she's the best thing about this match. And my understanding is, is that I think she's been dead for about five years at this point. She sounds like a good person. So why are you giving that tribute to her to these shit houses? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was going to be my next thing is that um, she wasn't well served by this particular tribute. No. Well, yeah, she, I mean, she died in 1986. And to be honest with you, as much as it was probably sound for her family and for people who looked up to her, she should be glad because she didn't have to watch these two singing this fucking yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back a little. So we got Mooney Fuji in the Orient Express. Mr. Hang Fuji. on, hang on. Mooney Fuji in the Orient Express. That has got to be a band name. That has got to be a band name. Mooney Fuji in the Orient Express. Um, old uh, Mr. Fuji's cutting his little promo. And he says, Hacksaw's got one cross eye, but we'll hit him so hard he's going to have two. <laughs> so I put for the match, short to the point, as good as you could want, slash wish. And to be honest, this was a little pick me up after the run of promos that we've had and the brother love and the Sergeant Slaughter thing. I can't believe I'm saying that, having watched it, but it is. It's what I needed. I need some classy and reaction. And I got it. Well, we still have plenty to go on this show. So let's we just do. Keep, let's keep pushing forward. Because after another short survivor series, I've the same as the one we had earlier on. We get a backstage interview 
with Dusty Rhodes for the second time tonight, who is trying to get Sapphire to come out of her dressing room, but can't do it. He then says he's got to go off to the ring to, to have his match. Sean Mooney then interviews Randy Savage. He says that the rumours about Sapphire must be true and that Sapphire doesn't want to associate with herself with Rhodes. And he says he doesn't believe that Dusty is what the forefathers had in mind when they talked about the American dream. Seems a bit unnecessary, to be honest. Well, there's, there's, you know, there's still more to come of unnecessary, you know, shitting on Dusty. Well, yeah. So let's, let's, let's get there next, because... Um, after Dusty and Savage have come to the ring for their scheduled match with one another, Ted DiBiase appears on the stage and says that everyone has a price for the million dollar man. He says his money can buy anybody or anything. And he asks everybody to feast their eyes on his latest purchase, Sweet Sapphire. Sapphire then comes out in her fur coat and is given a bag full of money by DiBiase. DiBiase says that they shouldn't be all the fans shouldn't be upset because um, she did what everyone else in attendance would do and took the money. Uh, Rhodes then goes to confront DiBiase, but Savage attacks Dusty in the aisle to get their match started. Before we get the match started, any thoughts on this segment? I would betray Dusty Rhodes for nothing other than that WWF bag that's got the money <laughs> in it because that fucking bag is amazing. I would love that. And that's that's all I've got to say about that, Mean Gene. So, Dusty Rose music, again, we get it. It's, it's good to wear it in a little bit of con, you know, a little bit of context. You had Dusty come down. Savage comes down on not the best throne, it's got to be said. <laughs> He's carried down by some lovely topless men who look like <laughs> they are, to be honest, they look like they're struggling a little bit. Not quite like the lads who were carrying down older, fabulous Moolah. Uh, um, uh, Clash of Champions 90, was it? Slambury 1993 legend. Yeah, I mean, I was almost there. (laughs) Can I just say, I'm not thrilled with the visual of DiBiase saying his latest purchase is a black woman. I don't like any of this, and I don't like it because it's crap, and I don't like it because, yeah, it's crap. Well, the reason I don't like it is because, uh, aside from what I just said, is because I don't know why Ted DiBiase does this mm. he's not in a feud with Dusty Rhodes he doesn't want Sapphire from anything in fact for anything and in fact as I understand it we don't really see Sapphire again after this point so why has well, well, he done waste it of bleeding money. Well, why, well yeah exactly why has he done this why has he tried to pay off Sapphire for what purpose it does doesn't make sense is it just to, I, I guess they probably explain it away by by saying that it's just a way for him to show everyone just how rich he is and how much that everyone will everyone's got a price for him but it just feels a little bit like well why have you done it you don't want anything from her so why have you done this Hmm. it would have made more sense if DiBiase had been in a match with Rhodes and then Sapphire cost Dusty Rhodes the match to allow Dusty uh, to allow DiBiase to win then you could understand why he paid her off because he wanted to win the match Hmm. and and I'll go back to that WWF bag again (laughs) (laughs) I can look over everything I can look past everything that WWF bag makes the angle worth it, in my opinion. I wonder how much money was actually in that little bag. I'm going to go Monopoly money. Oh, I love the old job. I'm going to say that when DBOC holds like the $1 bill, the crinkled $1 bill that he holds whilst he's holding the bag, that's all of the money that was in that bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's always odd when they just always have $1 bills, isn't it? Like, just get a 50 
someone's going to have a 50. Like, make it look a bit more impressive than ones. Yeah, it's it's just an odd one. I just don't get it. I just don't really get it. And not only that, but then it effectively means that we don't get a decent match between Dusty Rhodes and Randy Savage because this is another very short two-minute contest here where effectively when Savage you know attacks Dusty from behind in the aisle and takes him back to the ring, Dusty come back comes back into it, chases Savage outside. Savage hides behind Sherry. Then when Dusty chases Sherry, um, Savage hits Dusty with his, with her purse and pins him. And that's the match. And it's done. And you feel like this is a feud that's been going since we know WrestleMania, because they have that at WrestleMania. They have the tag team match, which sees Savage and uh, Sensational Sherry against Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. And this is how you end it. It's just very strange. Yeah, that match could go longer, you'd think. I mean, I know Dusty's not in his, in his best, but you'd imagine that him and Macho could have had a decent you know, eight to ten minute match, and that would have, yeah. you know, saved us all these awful promos. I mean, looking at it so far, we've had, we're on our uh, eighth match of the night, and only one of them has gone over the six minutes. There's no re- need for it to be that short, unless there was, like, maybe an injury in this match as well. The one kind of positive I have got out of it is in relation to Savage, and you guys know I'm a bit of a fan of, of old Randy Savage, and what he does really well is that he goes to hit um, Dusty Rhodes with the loaded purse which I'm assuming is like got like bacon bits and cheese and stuff on that what makes it a loaded <laughs> purse um, and he he goes to hit it with it and then the referee either by accident or or by design turns around and he holds back a little bit and then he waits for the referee's back to be turned and then hits him with it just a nice little bit of like in-ring psychology mm. that, 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 that match a man and, and only really good workers have because a lot of a lot of would just go ahead and they just pretend that the referee didn't blatantly see it. Whereas just it's that nice little bit of like being aware of what's going on in the moment and then and then doing a little bit of improvisation and hitting it. But that's about it. A very disappointing match. I was expecting more of this. I couldn't remember this match coming up to it. And there's evidently a reason for that. Yes. Yeah. What tops it all off is that Piper is very disappointed with Dusty Rhodes at the end. Very disappointed. He's calling him out. And I just think, Seems a bit harsh. He's just lost his pal and been walloped with a purse. I just think, just give the guy a break. Or just don't have this on the show. That would be my preferred thing. So Sean Mooney backstage then um, catches up to Ted DiBiossi, um, who is getting into a limousine along with Sapphire and Virgil. He asks DiBiossi why Sapphire is with him. DiBiossi says that there is nothing that his money cannot buy. Dusty then arrives, but the limo races off as Rod Rhodes shouts no into the into the distance. Then we get Gene Oakland backstage with Hulk Hogan. So yet another talking segment. Hogan has Bossman with him. Uh, he says that he remembers the attack that Earthquake and Dino Bravo did on him and also the attack that they did on Tugboat. He remembers all the fans who wrote letters to Hogan at the behest of Tugboat uh, to bring him back to action. And um, he says that he's dedicating the match tonight to Tugboat. Um, the uh, the reason Bossman is there with him is that he is now going to be in Hogan's corner, uh, where where Dino Bravo is going to be in Earthquake's corner. Well, he, he actually refers to Tugboat as the Tugster. Yeah. Which yeah. I absolutely love. I think this is fine. This is classic Hogan fare, isn't it? He does say that he'll win the match, and you can take that as fact. Because the Hulkster never tells a lie. I mean, oh. <laughs> he, he also, I think at one point, 
might call the big boss man big big boss Jefferson and then refers to himself as Hulk Washington or something like that. Yes, he does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the old forefathers, the foreskin fathers. <laughs> Tell you what, that's our fucking tag team name, isn't it? <laughs> the foreskin fathers. Lovely stuff. So, next up is Hulk Hogan versus Earthquake. It is a match that goes for 13 minutes. And it ends when, after Earthquake hits, what's his move called? I've always called it the Tremors, but I don't know if there's an actual word for it. Uh, I, I think it's the sweaty ass on the chest. Yeah. So after Earthquake hits the sweaty ass on the chest twice, um, Hogan kicks out uh, when Earthquake goes to the pin and he hulks up. He hits the big boot and then slams him, drops a leg, but Dino Bravo and Jimmy Hart jump up onto the apron to prevent the count. Hogan then throws Hart into Earthquake um, and then slams Earthquake in onto a table outside the ring where he then gets back in the ring and wins by count out. After the match, Earthquake again attacks Hogan and lifts him into a chokehold. Bossman jumps in the ring with a mini ladder. It's Earthquake in the back with it twice, leaving some rather nasty looking welts on his back. And then the heels are warned off by Bossman with his nightstick. That is the end of the match. Tom, what's your thoughts? So, before we get into the, to the end, the kind of overriding story of this match is that Hulk Hogan tries to slam Earthquake in camp. Yeah, three years ago, we saw this cunt slam Andre the Giant. So I didn't quite I didn't quite bite that. It seems like a bit of a stupid, stupid, tired old trope in the match. Um, It's not great, but there's a couple of bits that I did want to cover for. Earthquake goes to the top rope, successfully, mm. might I add, which, even though it's just like a crap punch, a single accident, <laughs> I believe, off the yes. top rope, it's still quite impressive to see such a big lad go to the top rope. I was, I was quite impressed by it. The the body slam spot onto the table is, is pretty cool, actually. It's quite a cool spot. But then to end the match in a countdown as your co-main event just seems so crap. Knowing that the, the main event is a cage match, and especially a WWF cage match, knowing, knowing that it's not there's not going to be a pinfall victory in that, it just seems odd that they you choose to have Hulk Hogan win by countdown. I, I, I don't know what you're trying to keep Earthquake strong. I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why you do that. The beatdown at the end is yeah. The choke. He's got him up in that in for that choke, which is just a very odd visual anyway. And then when the boss man gets the stepladder out, it's <laughs> like, what's going on here? He gets three hits to Earthquake back. Earthquake's back, and as you said, they must he must leave a bit on them because the welts on his back look pretty pretty grim. And they're standing there fighting, and all of a sudden he pulls out his poxy little nightstick, swings it around, and all three of them, them being Earthquake, Dino Bravo, and Jimmy Hart, absolutely shit themselves at a much smaller weapon that he's just got out. Don't make any sense. It's not a great match. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic Hogan fair. There's the obligatory bear hug, which, like, every Hogan match has to have. And then the opponent hits his finisher twice on him, and then he honks out. And then, obviously, it's not quite as simple as the leg dropping one, two, three, and we're done. The crowd love it. The crowd absolutely love it. As a kid, I will have loved this, but it's crap. Going back to the very start, boss man, considering this is the second time we've seen him, he gets a heck of a pop when he comes out. He gets the proper Hogan rub 
on the pot. The thing I forgot to mention, which was my highlight of the match, is when Hogan is in Earthquake's bear hug and he rips Earl Hebner's shirt in half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just rips his shirt off him. It's yeah. amazing. What a weird spot to have in a match. And it must be, I can't believe the Hulk Hogan. We saw how much trouble. Um, was it the Undertaker ad? Ripping a shirt, yeah. ripping a Lex Luger shirt in half. That, that's a working shirt that yeah. Earl Hebner's got on. So I put, I've got no idea why. He's like, say what, I'm going to get a bit of my midriff out. Hey, Terry, <laughs> if I see you having a little rip of my shirt open, it's just so bizarre. What a weird spot to have in a match. Well, it's not the weirdest thing in a match. The weirdest thing happens before the bell rings when Hogan comes out and he spits from the top rope to the outside onto Earthquake's face. Mm. Hogan just spits at him. I'm like, fuck me. This guy was king of the company. Yeah, like, anyway, back to the match at hand. As I said, standard fair, not very good. Within this whole show, it's crap. But as a standalone piece of guff, absolutely fine. I'm on my last legs here. I um, I quite liked it. I thought this was all right, this match. Of course. Um, <laughs> That's because you're a good man, Tinky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I like, I... I was really trying because I'm with you on man. I, by this point in this show, I'm like, fucking hell, this thing just won't. What is going on? Like, it's just not it's, it's not keeping my attention. But I really tried to, like, almost draw a line under everything else before this match and go, right, let's, let's see what happens here. And for a Hogan match, and I do stress for a Hogan yeah. match, this is actually quite good. I think John Tinter works really well, works really hard, does his best to get something out of Hogan. Uh, we already, we, I already commented that I thought his promo earlier was actually really quite competent. And it just was like, oh, Earthquake's actually quite talented guy. Mm. You know, he's just unfortunate that he's got such uh, a look about him. Like he doesn't look at all athletic. Yeah. He doesn't look really at all scary or anything. He's just, a, by the age of 27 a balding, very overweight man that doesn't even look overweight in the way that Vader looks overweight, where you're like, mm. fucking hell, this guy means business. He just looks big. He just looks really mm. quite fat. It's a shame because he's actually really talented, and I think this was a decent contest. He gave everything he could, and I think they did quite well out of it. Backstage, Sean Mooney is at it again with Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan this time. Rude says that Warrior knows nothing about a steel cage match, which he says is an advantage and he will win the title tonight. He says that afterwards he'll be given a statue outside the spectrum alongside Rocky Balboa. <laughs> this is probably the best promo on the card, I think. I, I really like this. I just thought, yeah, I also think I knew they were going to speak to Warrior at some point, so I just... <laughs> grasping at straws well this is another bit because as you said tom earlier on about the fact that they're now building the cage so this is another bit where we just get a mm. slew of talking so first of all gene oakland is with dusty Rhodes, and oakland asks him about what happened with sapphire dusty says sapphire took the money that's fine says he's getting bad and he's coming for dbrc my kind of bit about this dusty Rhodes goes so if I think I'm like, it's fine! Doesn't seem fine, Dusty. No, it seems like you're quite annoyed about it, yeah. being honest. You really seem to have been contradicting yourself a little bit there, lad. I yeah. think this was an attempt, I think this was an attempt by them, and him potentially, to reset in WWF and kind of give him a, a, a new fire and a new flame to like push push his career 
somewhere else i mean it never materialized but i think that's what they're trying to do here is kind of draw a line under what they've done previously with sapphire where he's been a little bit of a of a joke and now kind of give him the fire and and, and have him you know properly go back into something more i don't know competitive with dibiossi how long is he there for of dusty not a huge amount of time maybe two three years top. yeah and i i can't if i'm being honest really remember anything else other than this really do you know what I mean like obviously that the sapphire story went on for for a bit for you know a good six months or whatever but it just seems really weird to me that i can't think of anything memorable about dusty's run other than the fact that he is in a feud with like the boss man leading into survivor series 89 there isn't anything memorable about it it's not (laughs) it's well past it's a point where he's well past his best he's no no longer the star he used to be Fallen on hard times, basically, just like Harley Race had done when we spoke about him. So <laughs> I didn't. I'm sure subconsciously I made that connection, but I didn't make that com, com, that, com, that connection when I was saying it. Great accidental pun, I think. So I just think this is their attempting to do that. It doesn't come off because obviously he basically leaves about six months after this. But you know, I think that's what they're trying to do here. We then have Lord Alfred Hayes at ringside, which James did um, <laughs> reference in our previous episode when he yeah. is, is ringside talking about how quick they can erect the cage in a new record time. He's talking Look. to the cage construction manager. <laughs> that's what the... <laughs> I, was, I was gone at this point. I think I, I was delirious. I was laughing my head off about this for about three or four minutes. Well, I, and also the, the camera pans to him and he starts talking and he's looking somewhere completely different. And then the camera has to move around to be in his eyeline. God, Lord Alfred Hayes. I know he's, I know he, he, we give him a bit of shit on the show because he is crap at his job. Um, but fuck me. That, that for him is bad. Perennially crap. And they just, he just keeps staying employed. I don't know what the fucking hell's going on. Um, then we got another backstage interview with Hulk Hogan where he promotes the tour of the USA that he's going to be doing uh, in all new earthquake proof buildings um, until Jack Tunney gives him a title match. Now, this is the reason why there was no proper finish of his match with Earthquake. Uh, he talks about chasing sharks. I don't really know what he's on about. And I, was like, oh, no. okay. I mean, obviously, John Tenter becomes shark, but I don't think he's got a crystal ball. There's also, also a bit at the end of the promo where he revs up an imaginary motorbike. And then zooms off backwards. <laughs> <laughs> the classic reverse gear on the motorbike. <laughs> so good. You can just beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> then we get a little moment with Roddy Piper and Vincent Mann talking about the Hogan and Earthquake match and hyping up the Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude. Then we get another backstage promo, Sean Mooney, Sean Mooney this time with Earthquake, Jimmy Hart and Dino Bravo. Earthquake says he's not finished with Hogan. Um, they show off the welts on Earthquake's back, and Bravo says no one can stop the earthquake. Yeah, I, I'm trying to get through these now because they are just—they're even painful to mention, let alone watch. Yeah. The amount of spit coming out of Earthquake's mouth is <laughs> disconcerting, to be honest. And all I could think was like, he's got to take off those pants that he's wearing, Earthquake. I just can't imagine the task that must be. Do you reckon you have to get Jimmy and Dino to help him? I don't want to think about it, to be oh, honest. I can't think think it. Just just take a minute. We we got time. We got time. We we have not got time. So what we find then is that the steel cage is now up and it looks yes. worse for wear. It's got like 
marks all over it like it's been used far too much old blue bars is suffering then we get gene oakland with the ultimate warrior this is this is the joke that the warrior says during this promo do you know what rick rude and bobby heenan have in common with the liberty bell <laughs> one is cracked and the other is a ding dong. And Oakland sells this like it's well, like he's as funny as me. I didn't take any more notes about what the warrior said. Uh, I just I, heard that bit. I had no idea what warrior is on about, but he makes a great noise at the end of his promo. Can't remember the noise. It was probably. <laughs> <sighs> You're probably right. It is then time for our main event for the WWE title in a steel cage. The Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude is ten minutes long so this is my notice at the end of the match because suffering through fatigue here a lot rude gets in control of the match but then warrior hulks up because i don't know what his version of this is called um he does a series of clotheslines a press slam and then climbs out of the ring and wins the match russian rick rude right we've seen him in fact you know i don't know if we've seen him with curly hair as we've been doing this show with the long curly hair I don't know if we have, but there is an inherent extra sleaziness about him with short hair. I think that Ravishing Rick Rude with long curly hair would fuck your wife. Short-haired Ravishing Rick Rude would fuck your mum. <laughs> I couldn't put my finger on it. There's just something, he just looks so much sleazier with short hair. And I can't, I can't figure out why. Can I ask, so... In this hypothetical situation, which is worse? Rick Rude rolling around in the grass with your wife or your mum? <laughs> That's a horrible question. <laughs> you the one who put it out there. <laughs> what a question. The floor is yours, Tom. No, I'm not yeah. going there. But what I will say <laughs> is that it would... Hang on, can, can we... If, in fairness, I've put you both on the spot. Can not we have... Me on the spot. The, I'm just not going to answer. <laughs> can we have the listeners' view... On which they would prefer. Oh, in, rather, in the comments section on Twitter. I, th- I think I think I'd rather pose them the question: Who? What? What's sleazier? Who's sleazier? Oh no 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 no! Because both are sleazy. Both. I'm disappointed in Rip Rude's behaviour. <laughs> I want to know if they want him to plow in their mum or their wife or their husband, whatever. Don't care. It, so it's, it would. So it's someone's getting ploughed in. And they're telling me who. <laughs> it will be great to hear that on the comment section on Twitter. I think you said, old man. <laughs> I don't what know. The, I fuck? Don't the whole Twitter. thing is a comment section. That is what it I is. I don't use Twitter. <laughs> you did used to. Don't give me that bullshit. I did, I did but not, not prolifically. And I did use to comment on things. That's, that's all you can do. That is what it is. Let's, um, let's, put, let's put a poll out on our, on our Bebo page. <laughs> <laughs> So we are at Random Wrestling Review at AOL.com. If anybody wants to get <laughs> Sorry, at Random Wrestling Review at AOL.com. Yeah. You can have two ads in an email address. You can, you can contact us, P.O. Box 57. <laughs> yeah. and, and if you found the superstar line on line five, we've got Val Venus oh. sucking off someone. <laughs> so do you want, does anyone want to talk about the match? No, because it's not very good. Warrior's beyond awful in pretty much everything he does. And while the Hogan stuff was crap, it's a million times better than this. Poor Rick Rude deserves better, even if it's shagging me mum, because I'm not married. So also, we need to discuss this. Why is Rick Rude's music overdubbed? Yeah. What's going on I here? This I... is really strange. Go on, I, on, I know. I, I did my research, because I'm a Lovely. professional. 
So the reason is, is that apparently his music at this time was too close to the stripper. So the da, 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 yeah. and could have left WWE open to legal issues. And apparently it was a bit of a grey area. And obviously WWE being a sensible business, they want to exploit people and not pay too much money for stuff that they don't need to. We're like, well, we ain't doing that. We'll pipe in some awful music. Just awful. He deserves better, Rick. But it's still very, very similar. So it's a bit like, was there any point in that? It's it's like it's like if Jaws Holland covered Ravishing Rick Rude's music. That's what it would sound like. It's like the Hooten Annie. My thought my thoughts on this match is for an Ultimate Warrior match, yeah. which is good. <laughs> Same as I felt about the previous one. I was like, yeah, you know what? It's really quite passable. It's fine. It's just we've gone through so much to get to this point that you're still faced with the fact that you are watching an Ultimate Warrior match. But it is fine as a match. In fact. Rick Rude comes off the top of the cage at one yeah. point with a very similar single axe handle. We've got a few of those in this in the show. But still, coming off the top of the cage is pretty impressive for this this period of time in the WWF. And off the um, top of that cage as well. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not like the cage that they've got now where they've got like the, like a gantry almost around the top. Mm-hmm. The balance that he shows to be able to do that is because especially considering that it's a person that I don't associate with going to the top rope particularly. The balance and the dexterity he has to get to that top rope and climbing and going from the inside up, which always looks more difficult yeah. as well, is is very impressive. Yes. So I, I thought it was perfectly fine. It was good for a warrior match. And it was the last two matches were actually quite decent. If the rest of the show had delivered me to these two matches in a better yes. mood, I would have enjoyed them more. That's how yes. I felt about them. I, I do agree. I'm very down on these because of what's come before i'll tell you one thing about this match they are selling about 45 seconds in like they've been fighting for an hour that was one thing i noticed but i suppose when you move at the speed the warrior does the frantic speed all the cocaine and steroids running through his body i would i thought it was all right i have to take if it was any other person i'd be like this match is shit but considering that it's the warrior you know i'm like well it's good for a warrior match I thought that he did, to be fair to him, I thought the Warrior did a decent job at selling Rick Rude's offense as well. He's kind of bumping around quite a lot for him. Ultimately, like you said, Tinky, you know, you're going to get hooked up after a while, after Rick Rude gets a bit like Icarus, tries to fly too close to the sun, tries to go up to the top rope again, and that is ultimately his demise, his downfall. Shout out to Bobby Heenan, who gets atomic dropped in lieu of Rick Rude taking an atomic drop, yes. which I'm totally disappointed by. Bobby Heenan takes an atomic drop and does a tremendous sell and flies out of the cage through the open door. And I also want to take this opportunity to kind of not address, because that's not what we're in for, because that looks like we've got a bigger issue with it, but to kind of offer a counterbalance to what James said about WWF cage matches. Because I love the idea of them having to escape the cage. I understand that it doesn't make sense from a, like, you know, you, the hero wants to get away from the bad guy. It doesn't, you know, in that logic. But I like the fact that the cage match in itself is different. There's a different, you know, different level of peril. There's a diff- different skill set or a way that in kayfabe that the, the participants have to approach the match in a different tact rather than it just being a normal match in a cage, you know, and that's why I always liked these star cage matches with these rules, regardless of the fact that they, whether they make sense or not, 
I've always quite enjoyed the WWF cage matches where you have to escape to win it. I, d- I don't really have a strong opinion on this one way or the other. I don't mind them being with a pinfall or submission. I also don't really mind them being escaping. I guess the problem with the escaping the cage is that it doesn't hold as much drama for me because mm. you can usually tell they're waiting for the other person to to catch them or not so it doesn't for me it's kind of like a, a last man standing match in that effect is that you kind of know that they're not going to win or that they are going to win when it happens i think the thing is is that somebody said that the reason you have a cage match is to keep other people from out of the mat out of the ring but the truth is, is it's really about keeping them in the ring so in the past it was always a way of guaranteeing someone would win because obviously what you used to do is you'd have like, I don't know, let's say have Bruno Sammartino and Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen might win by count out, which means he didn't win the title, of course. So then you'd put them in a cage to settle the score and people buying the tickets could be absolutely certain that someone would win. It was just another way of selling the ticket, basically, because they could then be absolutely certain someone would win. So that's really what it's historically been is just a guaranteed finish which was even you know even back in the day was actually quite rare that you'd get a good finish it just didn't happen very often in the main event so i don't i don't mind i don't think it's a problem any which way i don't really have an issue I, as long as they keep it in the old blue bars once they get rid of mm. old blue bars it all goes to pot for me and they have the little mesh fence don't want none of that don't want none of that we used to we used to fight each other in the school playground throwing each other into the into the mesh that they've yeah. got on those cages. It's, I know that doesn't hurt. So give me all blue bars. They look much more brutal. Yeah. Let's finish off talking about this show because actually I think the main event is quite interesting because ultimately this is the one successful pay-per-view title defense the Ultimate Warrior has during his uh, world title reign, which at one point WWE obviously felt was going to be massive because they hadn't beat Hogan. So something happens between, I don't know, WrestleMania six and whenever they make the decision finally to go with Hogan Slaughter at WrestleMania 7, that convinces them that Warrior's not the man for the title. And partially, I wonder whether or not this is one of the reasons, because this pay-per-view didn't uh, had a significantly lower buy rate than the previous year's SummerSlam. But I feel like it's a bit harsh if that's the case, because he's facing Rick Rude, somebody who's already overcome quite significantly as well the previous year. So I'm a bit like, well... If you it feels like here he should be facing earthquake, and yeah, because earthquake feels like a much bigger um, threat. I would have thought to the Warriors title. I mean, I, may, I guess maybe they thought at least Rick Rude can get a match out of him, but I I don't know. It just feels like a a flimsy first major opponent for the Warrior, and it is effectively his first major opponent because he faces him all through the house show circuit prior to the show as well. I've read a couple of places that apparently the reason why they were like, let's get this bloody belt off him, was because kind of what you alluded to there was the business was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Apparently on the like house shows that he was headlining. Yeah, it was supposed to be down on what Hogan's business was prior to the title switch. But again, I, I kind of go, well, you're facing got him against Rick Rude. I mean, he's already had this feud. Well, and also it's going to be down. It was Hogan. It was the hottest thing ever. And regardless of what I may think of him, he knew what to do. He knew how to get people on side. He'd pose at the end. Ultimate Warrior clearly doesn't really give a shit about anyone. But he's also not really given the chance, I don't think, is he? It's like Hogan kind of steals his moment a little bit at the end of WrestleMania 6. And then he's lost it 10 months later. I just think that 
regardless of what happened at the end of WrestleMania 6, they aren't giving him the best chance to succeed by no. giving this pay-per-view main event as his first pay-per-view defense of the title. Mm. He would have defended the belt on a Saturday night's main event at some point between the two. But ultimately, you know, that that doesn't really give him the best chance. The other interesting thing here, of course, is that this is Rick Rude's last pay-per-view appearance for the WWF, yeah. at least in this run. He left the company shortly after SummerSlam because he of a dispute with Vince McMahon over the amount of money the Ultimate Warrior had gotten paid for this main event compared to him. So apparently Rude got paid an awful lot less money than Warrior did. Which, considering how much better he is, doing this is, is a, bit of a bit of a shambles, isn't it? Let's be honest. I think it's... They've kind of come to realise that he's a bit of shit. He's not very good. Fuck off. Well, I just think that you know that the Warriors headlining all the major shows at this time because he's the champion. So he's getting the money every show. So he doesn't. When you get to the pay per view, you thought they'd just give him the same amount, quite frankly, but they didn't. And uh, that's why apparently Rude left WF shortly after this um, show. So again, interesting both guys going in a different direction both guys kind of coming to the end of something here in some ways um in the case of the warrior something that never really got off the ground certainly no. not to the extent that hogan's did and, and isn't it the following year at the summer Slam where he gets fired yes what's telling as well is that i know you're never gonna have hogan in the middle of the card at this point but i think the reaction to the two wrestlers one after the other is don't get me wrong the warrior gets a decent enough reaction from the crowd but it's not hogan is it warrior probably gets the same level of pop as the boss man does when he comes out which don't get me wrong it's good but it's not what you want from your main event guy is it so what was our overall thoughts on this show our rating out of 10 match of the night and mvp i'm going to start with you tom okay it's a tough one i thought i enjoyed this more than i did (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> i watched it in about three things times times of a premium at the moment so i watched it in about three things and quite enjoyed it but even during that second sitting throughout that mammoth period in the middle of the card where there's so many promos i was like fuck me so i can't imagine what it must have been like watching the entire thing in one go i think discussing it has made me knock it down a peg so i'm gonna go a five for this it would be a four but well, the fact that it's in 1991 gives it an extra... Uh, 1990 gives it an extra... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it's not a very good pay-per-view, but the fact that it's during my favourite time period, it knocks up an extra extra point for me. My MVP is Earl Hebner's shirt. It's a working oh, shirt. Beautiful. <laughs> really caught me. It may really made me chuckle because it's so weird. It is weird. You you suggested that maybe Earl Hebner just wanted people to see his belly. Yeah. I was thinking, seriously, who came up with this? And I was thinking, probably Hogan. But what a weird idea for Hogan yeah. to come up with as well. Just really strange. What's your match of the night, Tommy? Uh, Heart Foundation vs. Demolition. Yeah. I think that's probably going to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't get ahead of us. We, you never know. Yeah. Go on then, old man. Give it to me, baby. One good match, but it's very good. The rest is on a small scale of average to dreadful. (laughs) The stuff with Sapphire is incredibly tedious. Like, just such a weird theme to be running through a pay-per-view. I think that's why I struggled with it so much. The runner promos that we get a couple of times really, like, drag it down and really made it a proper slog to get through. And to be honest, this had some... uh, 
some stuff in the bank because it's 1990 WWF. So it was always a bit like you just said, Tommy. I'm going to give it an extra mark for that, but it got it got a little bit more from me than I think if this was if this was an ECW show, I would have well, I would have been getting minus nine out of ten. But as it is, I'm going to give it a three out of ten. That's probably a two for the strength of the tag match and half a point each for the two main events. And the rest of it doesn't really get anything, unfortunately. Uh, obviously, the match of the night is the tag match, Heart Foundation and Demolition. And my MVP is Dusty Rhodes, because as much as I do not like the stuff, he puts in an absolute shift. And he, he tries to make, what is it? A silk purse out of a sow's ear. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I, oh, dreadful. I don't want to watch it again. And I didn't think I'd be saying that. Well, we're, we're covering it again next week, so you're going to have to. Oh, wow, well, that seems fair. <laughs> so my rating out of 10 is a 4. I actually had, before we started talking about this, a 5 penciled in here. And then we talked about it, and I've gone, actually, this was gutter. This was just yeah. absolutely <laughs> shit. Gutter, like, what In great so phrase. many places. In just so many places. Like The thing is, is the first half an hour is fine. And imagine if that Rockers Powers and Glory match had gone 15 minutes and been a really yeah. good match. And then, you, then you'd have had the fast couple of matches and the forfeit of Sapphire. That would have passed really quickly. Then you'd have had the tag team title match. And you'd be like, wow, that first hour, that was that was rocking. That was really good. But because that match doesn't happen, the whole first bit of it is kind of let down. You get the high, the peak, which is that Heart Foundation demolition match, which is my match of the night. And then you get nothing. And you've got, the turd that is the the Jake Roberts bad news brown match. You've got the utter terribleness of Duggan and Volkov against the Orient Express. Two minutes of Savage versus Dusty Rhodes. There's just so much on here that A, could have been a little bit better and B, it's just terrible anyway. The two main events are fine. And that was why originally I was going to give it a five because I thought actually they're not bad matches. They're, they're okay. But I just think that long period in the centre between the Hart Foundation's win and then the first of the two main events is just terrible. And I think, imagine this show now with the lineup it's got at this point. That Savage versus Dusty Rhodes match would have been one of the key selling points of the show. They're both main event talents. It would have been a triple main event almost with the other two contests. And you'd be expecting something from it. And you got nothing. My MVP is I struggled with here because there's two men I wanted to... Um, acknowledge the first of them is Sean Mooney and the second is Gene Oakland because they are the guys working the hardest during the show. Yeah. We see them all the time throughout the show. They are on screen more than anybody else. I think they probably between them have about an hour and 20 minutes of screen time. And um, so I've given it to Gene Oakland because he's slightly better, quite frankly, than Sean Mooney. <laughs> um, so yeah, Gene Oakland's my MVP. Not a great show. And it's a show, as I said, I've seen a number of times before. Guess what? It didn't live up to my thought that it was okay, which is a real shame. Real, real shame. So we move on and we've got uh, the game in just a second. But before that, a quick bit of encouragement from us to leave us a review or a rating on whatever platform you are using to stream this show. And thanks to those of you that have already done so. So it's the time for the game. And, old man, you are our host what have we got in store for us? Well, we've just watched SummerSlam. So we are looking for people 
who have been in a main event of SummerSlam. Are we talking co-main events like on this one? No. Last match. Main event. Yeah, last match. Fair enough. Yeah, so no Val Venus. Let's go, because he's just come back, let's go Tinky first. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go with the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior? Is it there? Is it? I don't know if it is it there. It is. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. Correct. Hulk oh, Hogan. No, wait. Hang on a sec. I've not actually written down Rick Rude. How stupid. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Um, I will go with John Cena. John Cena. Big match, John. Correct. Um, Randy Savage. Randall Savage. Correct. Uh, Bork Laser. Bork Laser. Yes. An astonishing amount of main events. Yes. <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. I when I was listing them, he's in about seven or eight. Okay. Um, let's go for Triple H. Triple H. What's his full name, Tinky? Um, Helmet Harrison. Horace. Correct. <laughs> Tommy. Uh, Cold Stone, Steve Austin. Oh, it's not cold. Correct. Um, Mankind. Mankind. Correct. Uh, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan. Correct. Uh, Bret Hart. Bret Hart. Correct. The Undertaker. The Undertaker. Correct. The Fake Undertaker. <laughs> Correct. Or have I, as I put him, the under faker? Oh, nice. Um, the Rock. The Rock. Can you smell what he's cooking? He's there. Um, Diesel. Diesel. Diesel and Kevin Nash. Correct. Uh, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. The Heartburn Kid. Correct. King Mabel. King Mabel. Correct. I, I was hoping one of you would say that. Correct. Uh, Batista. Batista. Oh, I don't think he has. He's not on the list. No, fair enough. Let me just double check. It's tough, isn't it? When you think about those brand extensions, the brand splits. You know what I mean? You've always got to think. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's no. not. He wasn't he, in the main event. He would have been in a title match, I'm sure. But. Yeah, he was, but unfortunately not. Better just say one more, hadn't I? Yeah. Zeus. Zeus, correct. Oh. I knew you'd go for a bloody weird one. I've got loads of others. I had loads for this Call one. Come on then, Tinky. Um, Ted DiBiotti. Correct. Andre the Giant. Correct. British Bulldog. Correct. Yeah. Sergeant Slaughter. Correct. General Adnan. Correct. Colonel Mustafa. Correct. Lex Luger. Correct. Yokozuna. You you have to remember, Tom, I was going to say that one. Yeah. Vader. Yeah. Kurt Angle. Yeah. Randy Orton. Yeah. Correct. Chris Benoit. Yeah. I'm guessing CM Punk probably did at some point. Yeah. And then I am starting to guess, so I'm going to... I had Edge. Don't know if Edge main event of the SummerSlam. He did, yeah. And I also put down Lashley. Uh, of, no. And I also put Drew McIntyre. No. Really? So, no. So the ones you missed. Roman Reigns also would have been on there, I suppose. Yeah. Beefcake. Oh, yeah. Booker T. Uh, Bray Wyatt. Darren Young. David O'Toole. Oh, oh, the Nexus. Oh. Yeah. Alberto Del Rio. 
Goldberg, Heath Slater, Jeff Hardy, Jericho, John Morrison, Justin Gabriel, uh, Michael Tarver, Roman Reigns, R-Truth, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, Skip Sheffield, uh, Braun Strowman, and Wade the Barrett Barrett. Interestingly, usually when there's a big list of people, you can always guarantee Kane. Yes, mm-hmm. I was when, when I made that list earlier. I thought, no, Kane, that's got to be, but it's not. Mm. Kane, it's, it's incredible, really. When you consider SummerSlam traditionally was the second biggest show of the year for the WWE, although I'd say that's probably not the case anymore. Probably the Rumble is these days, but even despite that lofty kind of um, reputation and the fact that you've got wrestlers like Zeus and General Adnan, Kuro Mustafa. Um, the fake Undertaker chains, as we saw from the episode a couple of weeks ago, and Mabel, um, that the the least impressive name on the list goes as far as Michael Tarver. That's who, the one that really sticks out to me. <laughs> just like fucking hell, like he was only there for six months, and he wasn't even like anywhere near the main event. Crazy. Wow, uh, look at him. He's got one more SummerSlam main event than Batista, multi world champion Batista, Mark Henry. Val Venus! <laughs> <laughs> and all three of us. So credit yeah. to Michael Tyver. Well, well done to hang him. Hang on. To be fair, we haven't had this year's yet. So that might be a little treat for the listener. <laughs> <laughs> so that is everything wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow for Tom's return to the show. He can finally, hopefully, get some rest. Well, probably not, seeing as he's still got to take over now, I should imagine, on childcare duties. Mm-hmm. So we will leave you right there. Old men, th- my, old men, second time old that's man. happened. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a treat talking about this. It's a show that I won't forget, and it's important that you all remember. Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions on your return to the show. Thank you very much, Tiggy. It was a pleasure to be back. I thoroughly enjoyed the episodes that I've listened to, the guest co-hosts, but I very much enjoyed getting back in the saddle. Thanks to Old Man. I never need reminding to remember Ken Patera, but I will implore the listeners to never forget Michael Tyver was in a main event at SummerSlam. (laughs) You know what? I will never forget that because he's my hero. If we, if we all had managed to do what Michael Tyra has done, we would have all been able to say we've headlined a SummerSlam pay-per-view. And that is something well worth remembering. But we will bring you more stuff next week. We will not be doing SummerSlam. We have finished our SummerSlam, you, SummerSlam trio of episodes. But we will be back next week. Until then, take care.